Welcome to Savvy Sabs Podcast on call in. This is episode 62, Ryan Grimm interview recap. Given the recent article and interview from Ryan Grimm, what are your thoughts on the railroad workers fight? Have your thoughts changed? And uh, feel free to discuss other things that we talked about um, as well. So we already got people lined up in the queue. Let's go ahead and bring in... Robin, you are on the mic. Hello. Hello, Robin. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Um, did I see that you had a birthday recently? Oh, not me. That was CJ. Oh, oh, that's right. Happy birthday to CJ. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, the question that has my opinion about the railroad worker strike changed, not at all. I think they got the shaft. I think that... Um, the councilwoman, and I always get her name wrong. Shwa, shwa, I, how do you Shama. say it? Shama. Yeah, she was totally spot on. Nothing that uh, Ryan said today has changed that. Even though when I was listening to Brianna's um, uh, call in, af- you know, after her podcast, and she played the thing with the real world, uh, the real world worker. I felt like, you know, I kind of understand where they're going, but I still feel like somebody should have sat them down and explained to them how that strategy was not going to work. Uh, so nothing, yeah, so nothing about that has changed. So now on to your discussion with Ryan today. Okay. When he came out and he, (laughs) when y'all were talking about Bernie, and he was saying, well, I don't think Bernie really took time out to kind of gather all of the, you know, the people together and stuff and do the legwork. And I'm like, that is ridiculous. I'm sorry. Bernie has been in politics since he was five years old. He has been a mayor, a, con- a congressman, a senator. I mean, literally, that's all he's ever done. And you're telling me this man is like 88 years old or, you know, 250 years old. And he doesn't know how to do legwork to get things done. And that's that's what you're going to say to me? Mm. Miss me with all of that. And look, I told you, I don't, I'm not even a socialist. And I'm just like, none of that makes any sense at all. So that's that, right. Bernie knows exactly what he's doing. Like you said, he's been doing this for a long time. A he's long time. A long time. He's, he's, he was a mayor. Like I said, he was a congressperson. He's a senator. And you're going to say, well, he didn't do the legwork. That is total BS. If he didn't do the legwork, it's because he didn't want to do the legwork. So, so miss me with all of that. Second thing, when um, I will have a, I will make a comment on him saying that you know, well, one, I don't agree with him. You know, like with you all, that oh, well, people should still work within the Democratic Party to do blah blah blah. Um, you know, but I, and then he said, I also think that you know, uh, people should work within the Republican Party. Now, I have, I have in every primary, I've always voted in the Republican primary. I don't think that's a good solution either. I told you that I, you know, in the general elections, most of the time I'll vote Libertarian, but because I live in Texas, I vote in the Republican primaries because I figure out, you know, I mean, barring something ridiculous happening, Whoever wins in the Republican primary is going to be the person that's elected. So I do participate in that process. 
But um, but when he said that, you know, I was just like, well, that just sounds like you're just going to split the the working parties into the two duopolies. So then the working people are still fighting against each other. That doesn't make any sense to me at all either. Exactly, which is why I say we need a, a party for the workers because we need a labor party. Right. And so now here I am, you know, feeling, you know, who typically votes libertarian. Uh, and I'm like, OK, well, if I was going to vote third party outside of the libertarian party and like a party that was really going to make a difference, like when and I'm thinking back when I was, you know, uh, telling my age when Ross Perot was running and he got like 20 percent of the vote, you know, with the reform party and everything or whatever. I mean, what are some things that uh, the left and libertarians, you know, and green people and, and, and forgive me if I'm not using the right terminology can can get together on. And I, you know, I'm I'm looking at some notes and stuff of what what things could we all work together on as a party that could get a good percentage of the vote. First thing in the wars, all the wars just just stop with all of the warmongering, ending imperialism, ending corporate welfare. Um, people don't like defunding the police. Fine, defund the security state. And I'm talking about all of the alphabet agencies, FBI, CIA, D- DNI, NSA, DHS, and whatever other alphabets are about. Just, I mean, dismantle all of that. That that stuff is ridiculous. And no matter, like, for example, no matter where you fall. Uh-oh. I think you cut out for a second, um, Robin. Um, but I do want to say, and that is a hundred percent on. Hello, do you hear me? I hear you now. Okay, great. Okay, uh, so, so go ahead and say what you were going to say. I think those are issues that a lot of people would get around. Right, exactly. Like defunding the military-industrial complex, you know repealing civil asset forfeiture, getting money out of politics and stuff. And see, and, and I have, and you know, I've, I haven't said one thing that deals with anything social. All of those things are money related. And I think if you, I mean, if you could get people around those big things, you know, that would be a big, big step forward towards moving this country in the right direction. And then, look, it would free up a lot of money for us to argue over, well, how do we spend all of this new money now that we're not in all of these wars and, you know, doing all this corporate welfare and then, you know, all of this spying on, you know, on everybody and everything that, you know, crawls under the sun type of deal. Um, So that would be a party that if if a party had those type of platforms, I would sign up for it 100%. And then I'd say, you know what, for these things, we'll band together. And then once we, you know, rest control from all of this other foolishness is going on, we can fight over the the little things. But, you know, I just I just feel like these are the biggest things that are probably holding us back as a nation. And uh, if we could get a party together that could focus on those big things that cross party lines it would be a really, really good step in the right direction. Um, I want to, uh, you know, just 
I don't want to say, I don't, the right word isn't congratulate you, but I just want to say that I always enjoy your professionalism when you handle people like, you know, Ryan and when you're on um, the rising and all of, I think that's how I found you was on rising. So uh, I just, just keep it up, you know, and um, I, I just look forward to seeing your trajectory in the future. I really do. Thank you so much, Robin. Yeah. And I think, you know, some of those issues that you brought up, this is exactly what the People's Party was supposed to be about. That's exactly mm-hmm. what MPP was supposed to do, was to get people together on those those economic issues, right? Now, unfortunately, like, People's Party has a lot of issues. Okay. Some of the things have, have fallen apart. It's just a mess. I don't see them going anywhere. I'm just being honest. And they got a, I think they have a, a, a Nick Bronner problem. <laughs> I've been very clear okay. about that, that, the leadership issue. But you're 100% spot on that, like, there are issues that a lot of us would come together for. A lot of people I've spoken to, they're tired of the wars, too. They're tired of it. They're tired of all this money going to the military industrial complex. What, the House? Uh, agreed to give over $800 billion uh, towards the defense budget for what? Right. Who are we at- who's attacking us, Robin? And and not only that, but you, you probably just saw uh, recently that they failed their audit. You know, they can't uh, account for $2 trillion in assets again. Yep. So why are you giving them even more money to not keep track of? I have an I have a master's degree in accounting. That stuff burns me up. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I mean, nobody and look, if it was me, if I look, if I get audited in my job, and I and I'm going to tell you, if I if I can't account for a penny, I have to give up that penny, and I'm not making that up. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in a, I'm in a government job to where if I cannot every day account for every dollar that I you know that I, that that comes through whatever I'm doing, then it's on me as a person, not on the county, not on you know not on the government or anything else. I have to That's make right. that up. Why? Because it's the taxpayers' money. It's not my money. And so I take that very seriously. And so when you read these stories about Oh, well, we failed the audit. We can't, you know, we can't uh, uh, account for $2 trillion in assets, but we're doing better. We just didn't make it. Hey, no, MF, or you made an F minus. That's <laughs> right. That's I mean, right. Because ridiculous. if ridiculous. Well, if we did something like that, the IRS would be down our throats. It's, we would be in jail. I mean, they threw, you know, uh, <laughs> What's his name that they used to see? <laughs> they threw rappers in jail for less money for that. Yep. It's Wesley Snipes ridiculous. too. Wesley Snipes was another one that was put in jail. Yes. Yes. Yep. Ja Rule, you know. <laughs> just, I mean, it's just, it, you know, so I don't have a lot of patience for, um, like I say, two, two levels of uh, justice when it comes to certain people, you know, you get the jail, you know, you get the jail cell and because I volunteer in the prisons. So I, you know, so I, I work with prisoners all the time. And so, you know, for me to know that some people are in prison and then other people are running free, living their, living their best life when they're not in, you know, when they should be in prison, that I feel a certain kind of way about that. That's right. Well said, Robin. Well said. 
All right. Well, I'll hang up and listen to everybody else. Thank you for having my call. All right. Let's bring in Notori. I'm sure, Notori, I know you have some things to say. <laughs> hey, Sabby. Hello. Welcome back. Yes. I wanted to say this before I walk Ryan like a dog. I'm so glad that you having different people on, even though we don't agree with them. Now, Ryan, I feel like he bought and paid for and keeps seeing the same shit in circle. And it's like, you can clearly see he lying. It's like he want to say something so bad, but I feel like he, he bought off. I just want to, I don't want to, I don't promote violence, but I want to slap him and say, say it. What you want to say? It's like he want to say it, you know, but he can't. And it's like, um, he already lost me, but when I wanted you to end, I, I could like in the interview when he sat there and said he wanted more people, basically more AOCs running in the Democrat party and then talking about more people in the Republican party. I was like, boy, bye. And then Bernie talking about he might be running again. It's a no go for me. No, ma'am, no, ma'am. It's just. <sighs> It's just the audacity to continue to take more money from working class people. It is absolutely appalling when you're not delivering. You're not delivering on these principles and these policies. And what was interesting to me, that's why I asked him, do you support putting progressives through the Democratic Party? Now, he said yes, but then he goes on to say that the system is corrupt. The system is a problem. If you know Mm -hmm. that the system is the problem, then why would you think that putting progressives in the Democratic Party is really going to change things? Because they're going into that same system. Right. I was just disgusted when he said it, but I already knew what type of dude he is because it's like, I can, like, in, even in the other interviews, you can see that he wanted to say something, but he hold himself back. And then it's like he go back to his talking points. And that's why I say, People like him and the Cal Kalinskis of the world, they, I feel like they paid off in the beginning they won't like that, but I feel like they paid off to keep people dizzy and confused. Well, it's just, I don't know if I, I, know I, can't, if speak, I, can't, I can't speak to that because I don't know if they are or not, but I will say this is like, at some point or another, we got to stop playing this game. Like at some point or another, like, we need to just, if we were playing Monopoly right now, I would tell you to just collect your $200 and go. Like, seriously, just right. go. It is time to like, because, you know, I think this example with the railroad workers was the most revealing moment for a lot of people. And I could tell mm-hmm. that because I listened to part of Bree's call in and I was like, wow. So now more people are starting to see it. Whereas for some of us, force the vote was the first revealing moment. Mm-hmm. For some people, it was when they chose to fund uh, the Capitol Police. They're not supposed to be doing that. Um, everyone has their 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 point, their moment, right? Even mm-hmm. right now with Bernie Sanders, here we go. Bernie Sanders about to cave again when it comes to this vote to end the war in Yemen. I mean, how many other things need to happen for people to really wake up? And I think part of the problem is... I don't think a lot of people are paying attention to what's happening with legislation when it comes to uh, progressives, especially if they're not on Twitter, because a lot mm-hmm. of those things I hear about it on Twitter first. So if they're not on Twitter and they're not following this, like 
people that are part of like our revolution, for example, people that are part of DSA, if they're not actively following how the squad is voting for some of these bills, they may still be in the dark. And that's part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I love Bernie Sanders message in the beginning, but as I seen him these last three years, I'm looking back like if he were president, he would be doing the same shit he would doing now. So he won't really going to change shit. No, if he's not willing to push back against Joe Biden, so Biden's telling him don't bring that uh, resolution to the floor for a vote. He's not going to push back on Big Pharma either. He kills me with this. He uh, need to go on and, and get out because <laughs> it's like I, like I will always love him for his, oh, and give us back that money. Yes, give us back mm-hmm. that money. We dug, where that money went to? You know what's something that we could try to change? Mm-hmm. Refunds. What yes. if there was some type of policy that was implemented that if politicians do not do what they promise, more so when it comes to voting, right? Voting on these legislation. What if they had to refund their campaign funds to people? Mm-hmm to the individual donors? What if they had to give people their money back? That's a way to hold them accountable. Uh, I don't think, of course, I don't think Congress or the White House is gonna be up for that because they know most of these politicians are just talking a a good game. Like they're not really gonna do these things. They're just saying what they need to say for people to believe them and get elected. And I, I think it, you know, this this issue with the railroad workers, I think for some people, this was a big breaking point for them because they're like, what the hell are they doing? You basically did build back better all over again after Jamal Bowman said, we're not going to make that mistake again on Twitter. And then he goes and makes that mistake again. So I think, I don't know, Ryan said that they're in talks to try to get some of them to come on to uh, left independent media. They don't even have to come on my show. I just want them to go on someone's show. Right. I really need that to happen because what, you know, a lot of people are upset with them and, and, and rightfully mm-hmm. so. Maybe they should go on bad faith so Brie can like press them. Yes, because what disgusts me is that a lot of people helped them get there and then as soon as they got in, well, I know when I saw AOC and breaking down the house and stuff, I saw how she was showing stuff. And then little by little, it's like she flipped. And Jamel Bowman, as uh, soon as he went in there, he flipped like a bitch. Like, I remember it like he got the makeup and all that stuff. It was like, baby, calm down. <laughs> I just, yes. Oh, I can't stand it, man. But <laughs> yes, I just want that. I was just going to say the most pushback I saw from Jamal Bowman was during uh, a podcast that Bernie Sanders was hosting. And this was right after um, Joe Biden had won. Bernie Mm -hmm. Sanders was hosting a podcast on YouTube. Jamal Bowman was uh, on the panel. There was someone else, too. I can't remember. Jamal Bowman made a statement to Bernie Sanders and said, Bernie, if the Democratic Party hadn't tried to jump you, you'd be in the White House right now. Ain't heard that from Jamal Bowman ever since. Right. What you so think about um, Hakeem? Hakeem, I never liked that man, but 
I do feel like he worse than them Nancy Pelosi because they just threw because he a man and the first black. That's what I hate about mm-hmm. Democrats. Because when I first, because I always been a Democrat when I was younger, but after Obama, I woke the fuck up after he left office. But I'm independent now, but I ain't voting for none of if nobody out the blue come out, you know. But it's just weird to me, like how they. You know, the stuff they do is just, they always throwing black or gay. I don't care if you're a damn alien. I want to know what you're going to do for the people, especially homeless and people working for um $8, in North Carolina. Hakeem Jeffries is in that, that seat, minority leader, because he serves corporate interests and he serves the military industrial complex happily and openly accepts those things. He's against BDS. That's another thing. So he heavily, he brags about this. Like he said, Israel was like the, is the sixth borough of New York City. Hakeem Jeffries said that. Like they know that he checks off all the boxes. He is African-American. He takes corporate money. He says he's progressive without actually being progressive, so they give him a pass. He checks off all the boxes, Notori. That's why he's in that seat. Especially when it comes to identity politics. Same thing. First black man. He checks off the boxes. Mm-hmm. And the only one I love is, I don't know how to say her name either, is I'm going to just say Shama. She the only one. I love her. She the only one I trust. And Shama and is like it's really no progressives. I feel like it's really well, it ain't no progressives or socialists in in Republican or Democrat Party. I feel like they use the word even AOC and all the other ones. It's none of them. Except for Shama. That's right. I mean, um, AOC does need to stop calling herself a socialist because they are changing the definition of the word socialism. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I don't like that. It waters it down. And um, I think that part of that came from Bernie Sanders, though, to be honest with you. Because Bernie Sanders was going around calling himself that, too. And I'm like, but you're not. When he like, used to say democratic you... socialist, what the hell is that? He's not even a democratic socialist because technically, right. by definition, he's more what you would call a social democrat. So it's like they allowed these terms to be watered down and 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 here we are. And it's upsetting too because Fox News will use this as ammo. This is ammo. And it's not even used correctly. And I see that a lot on Twitter. Like I see people calling people lefties and stuff. I'm like, them are liberals, blue dog, moderate Democrats. And they calling them progressives in the far left. Yep. But that's on purpose, though. You guys know why you hear people like Elon Musk has been doing this on Twitter, too, calling Mm -hmm. Democrats uh, the left. The Democratic Party is not left, but they're doing that on purpose because by saying that the Democratic Party is left, it drowns out the voices of the real leftists and socialists Mm -hmm. that we have. Yes. 
And I was going so hard for Elon Musk until I let it come. Because now it's like I don't even care no more. Because I thought he was going to show something on, um, what's her name, Tara Reid? Like how they was um, suppressing her um, stuff. And I thought it was going to show, like, be more open and show, like, on all sides how they were suppressing people. But to me, it seemed like it's just the Donald Trump show. I don't give two fucks for Donald Trump either. But, like, come on now. It was more people suppressed than far right or Republicans. That's right. You're right. They did do that. They only said that basically it was the conservatives that were being suppressed. And I, this is what I was telling you guys. Anti-war voices have been heavily suppressed on Twitter as well. Like, how could you leave that out? Um, I think he just doesn't want to, they don't want to mention that. They don't, I want to see the Twitter files on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, I know they're not finished, but like I said, I want to see the Twitter files on that about the leftists that they were suppressing. Yeah, I'm hoping it come because it seemed like it's the far left and Donald Trump train. But I'm going to let you go and let somebody else go. And I just, I love you and RBN and Burn It Down with Kim Brown and a couple of others because I used to like them other channels too, but I don't fuck with them no more because they ain't where it's at. R&B and your show is where it's at. Oh, thank you so much, Notori. I appreciate that. Good night. Well, I'm still going to be here for the rest of the show, but thank you. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in uh, Noel here. Noel, you are on the mic. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Okay. Um. I just want to say my reflections on this whole thing is, of course, my position on Ryan Grimm has not changed. And it was more clear to me that as he responded, he is being very disingenuous. Because if you have any type of background in journalism, which I'm, I assume he is supposed to be at least part journalist, You have an obligation to tell the story and tell it in a balanced way. When he starts talking about Jamal Bowman and what he, the discourse that he had with the real workers, it is so disingenuous because in that set of circumstances, Jamal Bowman would have been considered the subject matter expert on the legislative piece. Again, it's like I say, if you are the doctor and I say, well, we need an appendectomy. And then I tell the doctor, oh, I brought my butter knives and and sewing needle because that'll be a cheaper way of doing it. If the doctor who is the subject matter expert says, well, she said, let's use the butter knife and sewing kit. So that's what that is. Absolutely ridiculous. And it is totally theater, theater, theater to continue to confuse what is really going on. And the reality is this whole thing with the rail workers and the preemption of the strike was the, if you remember from the Wizard of Oz, when the Toto pulled the curtain back and exposed it, it was curtain pulling moment. And anyone who was paying attention to the process and had paid any attention to what happened with the two piece infrastructure thing, you could see 
for lack of better terminology, the train coming down the track. Mm -hmm. Everybody who understands that process knew that that two-tier legislative approach was not going to work. And if we knew it as lay people in the public, you know Jabal Bowman Mm -hmm. knew it. Now, if you have the president who is saying, oh, I'm the most labor, pro-labor, pro-union president since FDR, if he is perched to preempt a strike and using as a justification this the disruption of the economy, he is using the same rationale that the Confederacy used to fight to keep slavery. It's going to disrupt the economy. That is no justification. But if you bring in the leaders from the House and Senate and sit them down in front of the national media and demonstrate that there is a bipartisan consensus that this strike would be too disruptive to the economy and, you know, it will increase inflation or stagflation, as the case may be, then we can't afford to allow that to happen. And so if there was a true left or any people in the legislative process in either chamber who was concerned about the workers, they would have been putting up the no, no signs immediately. That's Just right. like Shama, when Shama say once said, said that they were there was going to be a strike in Seattle with the Teamsters and she immediately came out and and put in writing, we will have your back. And immediately they tried to attack her, whatnot. This country, if you look at it from 30,000 feet, you see it clearly. This nation was born of slavery. And when you're thinking about it, free labor is the capitalist dream because that means a maximization of profit. So when you step back from this country and look at our history from 30,000 feet above, you see that it has always been a push towards the free labor that we started from. When we look at the rights that the labor movement produced, it was through hard fought battles. People were killed, this, that, people were underhanded. The corporations were working to undermine every step of the way of building labor laws. That energy in this country has never disappeared and it has never dissipated. When you think about it, the for black people who descended from slaves to have to fight well into the last half of the 20th century to secure civil rights, when we know that economic justice and economic parity was the big ask and the big demand, it says a lot about this country. And I think a big part of our problem is that we as a broad mass of people, the governed, the proletariat, we have gone to sleep at the wheel. We have been fed a pablum through the educational process. Nothing about it incites us to get engaged and understand and be motivated to get involved politically. Everything is about entertain the workers 
watch the antics on TV and will lead. And now that there is a generalized understanding with the lay public that there is a difference between Democrats and Republicans, the average person goes in and votes either Democrat or Republican based on their broad understanding of where these people should be standing but don't. And it just goes over their head. And so when this mm-hmm. rail worker strike thing came up, it was important to send out the Ryan Grimms who are like the the entertainment. They're the court justice to say, oh, the people are getting restless. Go out there and push this explanation. We're going to stay behind the curtain and you go out front and you offer this explanation and say that they met with Jamal Bowman and this and that. And it was a Hail Mary thing because that sounds rational to a person who is unenlightened. And I want to call your attention to something Ryan said that was really instructive to me. When he said, oh, it is accurate, it's an accurate assessment to say that there has been a division between the squad and the so-called progressives and the independent media. So what he was basically saying is the independent media and the audiences that listen into them is a separate thing from the masses. And you all have had this this dissonance to occur. And I certainly hope there will be things in the future where we can bind that up. But that was inaccurate and totally deceptive because what has really happened is, as you suggest, the squad and the so-called progressives have failed in their obligation to the principles to which they led people to believe they would adhere. And so it's not just a divide between independent media and the squad. It is a divide between the squad and what their obligations to the people are. It makes no sense that we're in this moment debating with the legitimacy of the approach when we all know that the approach was doomed from the beginning. But again, when we live in a society where now the fourth estate, which is the media that we depend upon to help us hold government accountable is totally corporate owned. So they're only going to tell you what serves their interests. And we see that with Elon Musk and Twitter. Now we know that there has been more shadow banning and suppressing beyond just the um, right. But he is not interested in exposing all that other stuff because it doesn't serve his purpose. And I think what we as a collective have to understand is that with the Democrats and Republicans with respect to leadership They adhere to Maya Angelou saying that they are more alike than they're unalike. The ties that bind them in alliance with class are much stronger than the ties that bind the masses because we have both parties using every social cultural issue in the book to sow discord and dissonance. They understand that if the masses of poor and working poor along a class line basis come together, that spells the end of their autocratic lead. And so they work in a collaborative way.
And but you have to pay attention. You have to dial in beyond just voting every two to four years or what have you. And we don't do that. And there is nothing in our energy as a nation to encourage that. As a matter of fact, it is discouraged. And so if the masses of people are not tuning into independent media to gain an insight, then they're still listening to the corporately produced stuff and only along the margins. I mean, you can rarely mm -hmm. turn into a news program and hear anything more than one part news and, and nine parts entertainment. And I just think we're in a really desperate place. Well, that's just another another piece, too, is the fact that if uh, the squad was actually going on to left independent media, that would bring more eyes to left independent media and that would pull more people away from corporate media. Uh, the reality is, no matter how big uh, a lot of these independent shows are, the majority of Americans only watch corporate media. Um, so they're hearing what our squad members are saying on CNN and MSNBC, but CNN and MSNBC aren't pushing them the way that we would if they came onto our shows. And that's a big part of the problem. Uh, to your and point that, that you mentioned about, oh, to the point that you mentioned about um, the whole separation uh, piece that he brought up, this is exactly why uh, I wanted to show him the principles because this is how you get out of that framing where people say you guys are just being contrary and you're, you guys are just doing this for clicks and views. You guys are secret uh, right wing. You have to bring it back to the basics. And the basics are the principles that they signed up for when they chose to do this experiment that they're a part of. And they brought a lot of us along the way with them uh, participating in this uh, experiment. We were canvassing for them or rather we donated money to them. And what I wanted him to see is to understand it's not just about this particular issue with the railroad workers. It's also about all these other principles that they are supposed to uphold that they are not upholding ever since the day they got into D.C. And that is but very suspect and it's a problem. Here's the question. Do you honestly believe with Ryan Graham's education and background that he does not know that? He, of course, he understands that he explained that he had come up from poverty. So mm -hmm. you may not have the thirst that poverty attends to your life today, but you know the dynamics of how you got to where you are. When you mentioned that the independent media at large does not have access to the squad, but he does, and that he should encourage them to come on. He said, well, yeah, I have had a conversation with one or what have you. If you as a journalist are having those types of conversations with elected officials, you know as a reporter that there is something disingenuous going on because a reporter should not have to encourage an elected official to speak to other reporters. That's and right. As a reporter, as a reporter, that's where he has an ethical obligation to put it out there that these people are being totally disingenuous and they're hiding from the segment of the media that would hold their feet to the fire. But again, Ryan Graham is a knowing, willing participant in the circus. 
He is the clown in the circus to distract you and add a type of, you know, he and, and you know, and I do not know this man personally, but his style is very monochromatic, is very monotone and dry. But to people, <laughs> but to people who don't know what is going on, that comes across as stable, trustworthy. You know, his whole presentation is so reliable. And so people tune in. And if he is not emoting, having any emotional response to anything, as opposed to a shama or a brie, people will sit up and say, oh, he was so calm, cool and collected. This, yep. that and a third. He's so trustworthy. He must be telling the truth when he is simply calmly and with much composure distracting you. In everything, Ryan Grimm knows exactly the role he is playing. And that's why I say he lacks integrity and an ethical center with respect to his role as a journalist. He's walking on both sides because here's the other thing. How do you have all this inside information and you running out here explaining to the people that, oh, this group met with Jamal Bowman. You're not supposed to be explaining. You're supposed to be going to Jamal Bowman and saying, hey, the people are ready to set fire to you. You know, this yep. is what the people are perceiving about the actions you have taken. We don't need you to come to us as the masses and try and explain to us what they are doing. We understand what they did, because as Shama said, you absolutely cannot move to preempt a strike and call yourself pro-labor. And that's where we as the um, masses, we have to take it as we see it. I don't need your explanations. I see it for what it is. Now, at the end of the day, we have elected officials who have an unlimited access to sick time who over the last 10, 15, 20 years have refused to secure health, universal health care. And we're maybe the only first world nation that has not. So I don't need you to give me all these explanations. If Germany and England and Canada and France can figure something out. They have modeled a certain set of concepts. You just pull those and do best practices. You don't tell me we cannot do it when we are spending per capita more on health care than any of the other nations. It makes no sense. But you slow walk us and give us these explanations and and come to us as if we are stupid and we are not. And so I'm That's saying. Right. That's right. Well, you know, wanna, we need to. Go ahead. I just want to add really point uh, really quick to your point um, about the, the, the access. This is the important piece for people to understand as well. Listen, there's a reason why he has access and we don't. You mean to tell me. Brianna Joy Gray, who was Bernie Sanders press secretary, they won't give her access, but they'll give access to Ryan Grimm. Make it make sense, people. Make it make sense. 
That makes no damn sense. It they makes are giving no people sense the access you? that they know are not going to be heavily critical of them. And to that point, I'm putting two and two together. If I see you on Twitter coming after activists and shitting on activists, but you can't critique politicians because you have access to them, that is very suspect. When people are trying to organize on the outside, like the Medicare for all marches, Ryan don't remember. I remember. I remember all those tweets criticizing the March for Medicare for all, criticizing our general strike summit, criticizing force the vote. I remember all of this. And I will say this. If you come out and you heavily attack activists and organizations that are trying to actually do what the squad should have been doing to begin with, they should have been out there with us. Absolutely. You come in a, and attack those people, but you are not attacking the politicians who ran on those same principles and are not trying to push them through, are not even discussing Medicare for all anymore for the most part. You can't criticize them. That right there let you know that is access journalism. People have to understand. That's how it works. There's a reason why they'll go on CNN. There's a reason why they'll go on MSNBC. They're not going to attack them. And here's the thing. That's why we know Ryan Grimm is a bad faith actor because he knows he has access and he knows you don't. And he knows there is a reason why you and Bree and the people who would set the fire have no access, but he has access. So he can't come in good faith and say, well, I don't know why they talk to me. He knows why. Like I say, he's a part of the circus. He is the CNN for the independent media group. And it just makes, it's funny. And then when you think about Bernie Sanders, those WikiLeaks emails prove that the Clinton campaign was involved and had a heavy hand with controlling the DNC, which is supposed to oversee and coordinate the entire race. That is construed to be a type of rigging. How can you come out in light of that and say, oh, I endorsed the secretary. Oh, I think she'll make a fine president. What? And then you come back the next cycle under the same conditions and run against Joe Biden and declare Joe Biden is my friend. You know Joe Biden better than most of us ever will, including all his frailties and all of the stuff that was going on with Hunter Biden and Burisma. This man was making $50,000 a month. This is Hunter Biden as a member of the board of directors for Burisma Energy, and he probably doesn't know an ion from an eon. And But all of this is passed on as legitimate. But again, they depend upon the masses who are at the circus to not pay attention. And we get no better treatment as the masses under Republicans than we do under Democrats. And for him to suggest that we should be trying to work inside strategies on both sides of the aisle simply says, you keep churning away. I keep telling people we are in a 21st century virtual plantation, and they have all the triggers, bells, and whistles. And by the time we wake up to what's going on, it is going to be a day late and a dollar short. And on that note, I'm going to let you take it over and turn it over to the next person.
Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Noel. And you brought up a good point as well when you mentioned um, being cool and calm and collected uh, on these interviews. And, you know, uh, Shama had emotion behind her voice. Bree had emotion behind uh, her voice and rightfully so. And you brought up a really good point about the fact that to a lot of people who are watching that, that don't know the whole backstory and, and the ins and outs of the progressive movement, so to speak, they will watch that and look at Ryan Grimm as, oh, he's he's the cool, calm, collected one. And this is something I was saying to someone on this um, call in. I think it was a couple of nights ago. They had called in and they said, uh, why don't you yell at your guest? And I have to explain to people I don't need to yell at people to get my point across. And sometimes when you do that, then people, they kind of look at you as like, oh, God, all this emotion. And then you come across looking like you are not knowledgeable or you're not educated and you have to bring emotion into it. Is that necessarily right that people will look at it that way? No, it is not. But I also understand that. I, for one, don't like when people are yelling at me. So if someone's yelling at me, I automatically like I tune out. I, I just tune out like it's just like blah, 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 blah. I didn't hear anything that you said. But if you really want to get across to people, you brought up a really good point when you mentioned that, that he remains and calm and collected for the most part. And then he'll come across looking like, oh, well, he he's the sensible person here. He's not raising his voice and getting or my favorite thing is when people say, oh, my God, she's out of control. I have to be wary of that, especially as someone who is a black commentator. I have to be very and, wary of the fact that if I do raise my voice and yell at guests, that is exactly how I will be perceived. And you know what? And that was the point that I was going to make. We're talking about Brianna Joy Gray, who is a black woman, and Shama Sewant, who is of East Indian descent. That's right. And, and unfortunately, in our nation, the framing of women, especially women who are of a minority ethnicity, their their passion for the issue is perceived as being un unchained and overly emotional. Yep. Now, you have male news anchors like Chuck Todd or what have you on any given day who can be, quote unquote, passionate. But if it is a woman, then that passion is framed and viewed through a lens that says she is emotional. Yep. And this and that. But as you say, rightfully so, because these people are concerned about the interest of the masses. And let's be also clear that Ryan Grimm's presentation as a white man makes it more likely, and people have been making comments about his haircut, but it is the run-of-the-mill, straight-laced, you know, totally trustworthy haircut for a white man. And so it is all <laughs> of those things. And, and, and like I say, he's playing on all cylinders, but he is playing for the team that does not represent our interests, unfortunately. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well said, Noel. I'm going to go ahead and bring in uh, Eric here. I know there are lots of Eric. Uh, this is Eric B. Uh, very, very well said. Yes. What's up, Eric? Hey, this is the ad kid. How you doing, Savvy? Doing well. How are you? Good, good. I haven't called in for a little bit and just 
busy and not able to join all the live chats, but I really love uh, Noel, the previous caller, and also Notori. Uh, I just find it that your audience is so intelligent, so wise, and so diverse, both in everything, background and age as well. And Noel, I mean, she illustrated how deceptive Ryan Grimm is. And she outlined various uh, multi-layers of how this sort of works and how it affects you know people's minds and everything else associated with it. The fact that he's doing this out in plain sight, Savvy, we know, you know, that the guy is intelligent enough and I think it would be reasonable to consider that a person who's made his life or their life working in this business would could could know, should know that what the squad is doing, what Bernie's doing is completely wrong. And yet he's not calling them out where he puts himself, aligns himself, presents himself as being part of the progressive side of things where he's not. Because if he was, he'd be calling them out. And instead, he uses his words. He uses his platform to divert, deflect, and almost create a mess for the regular person who's trying to digest what's going on. And, and like you said, rightfully so, Savvy. You called out how many times he's tweeted. He went after people, regular folks that were actually fighting on behalf of the common person whether it was forced to vote, what have you, he's done it. And yet he doesn't have the mind to understand that he should be calling these guys out when they are voting against, uh, you know, the strike. Are you kidding me? He knows better than that. But he's literally lying to us. And like Noel said, he has the monotone voice. He's got the haircut. He's got it all packed down. And I ask, why is he doing this? If he's on our side, right, he's supposed to be on our side, but he's not. And, um, you know, who took him down really well was actually Kashama Sawant on Bree's show. She dismantled the guy, literally real time. I mean, she is so on point. She dismantled the guy real time, took him out, out of commission, pointed out all his, all his lies in front of him. He said nothing. He took it. And he's doing these rounds. I mean, he came on RBN with CJ and Nick, uh, you know, I think a few days before all yep. this kind of went down. And and you guys were very cordial to the guy, uh, you know, didn't go into, uh, you know, what's happened over the last few days. Uh, and, you know, and he showed up, which I was so surprised that he he did this. And I was asking myself, why is he doing this? And, and my belief is that they know, and they are seeing the movement of where the energy's at, Savvy, that our, our being's message is penetrating. And it's going to penetrate. The more, pe the more people get to hear the contrast of what you guys tell, it's undeniable. I mean, like, you can see that you can see all this shit. I, I hate to, I don't want to use bad words, but you can see <laughs> all this. Uh, even with, with Bernie, who's so disappointing. Man, my God, that guy. Um, like like Noel was saying just a few minutes ago about how he knew he's seen the paperwork, the receipts on what the Democrats did to him. And yet he's still cheap hoarding, cheap sh shepherding people to go to the to the blue side. How can he do that? 
How but see, this just proves, Eric, this proves once again that Chris Hedges was 100% spot on about Bernie Sanders. He called it years ago. Uh, he knew what Bernie Sanders was trying to do. You know, he, he called it out after 2016. He said when Bernie Sanders did not take that energy and start a third party movement, he missed his moment. And he was 100% right. And Chris will be on again this month, by the way, you guys. Um, so it's it's been a couple months since he's been on, but he'll be back on again this month. And I'm going to ask him about this, too. This whole thing that happened with the railroad strike, because I want to hear um, his opinion of this as well. But this is exactly who Bernie Sanders is. What I tell you guys tonight, he's letting Joe Biden bully him to not bring the Yemen resolution to the floor for a vote. But you're going to also say in the interview on CNN that you're going to hold these big, big pharma accountable. You're going to take on big pharma. You're going to take on corporate interests. Bro, you can't take on Joe Biden. Yeah. You can't you can't push back against this one man. And I'm supposed to believe that you're going to take on a whole entire industry. That's right. It and I want to share something else because uh, Ralph Nader, who who's come out on your show finally, right? He came on it, but he was not very, he he was not the old self that that we wanted to hear. We he, didn't hear from Ralph the way that we wanted to, from what I recall. Correct. I haven't interviewed him. Um, oh, yeah, uh, Bree yeah. had him on recently. Okay, my bad. Yeah, but I did talk about, oh, and Chris Hedges had him on too, and I did talk about the interview that Chris did with uh, Ralph Nader. Yeah. Okay, I take that back. Well, he was on Breed recently, and he did a good job. I actually thought that he did a good job, and in my perspective, from my, from my lenses, I thought he created a, a vision, a roadmap, which is why, if you remember uh, almost over a year ago when I was asking you to bring him on, he has the tools of experience of actually make, getting stuff done. And that's what he talked about to Bree today or whenever the show was, I heard it today for the first time, right? But when he talked to Bree, he was outlining how to get things done, how to shake up the system so that the system is forced to do what you bend it to do, like he did in, in years ago when he did it for the cars, for the seatbelts and everything else that he got done, right? There's a way to do it. And it's a, applying leverage by people accounting their names, putting their names on paper to say, hey, we want this to get done. And then both parties get scared is what he was saying today. They'll get scared as they see signatures with people's real names that they're asking for something because they know that if, uh, I think he says something like, if you see 500 people sign a document, the likelihood is you probably have tens of thousands of people that would be willing to sign the same thing they just haven't had a chance to do so. And once you get that momentum, you can start pushing and leveraging the people because then they know they're going to get voted out. And then he also uh, kind of put it into context. All these people that have their nice paychecks, including the AOCs that are getting 176000 and all of them, the squad, who are now have nice sitting places to go. They have their health care and so on, right? They are human they can be bent. If they know they're going to lose their job, their cushioning job, they'll, they'll do what we ask them to do. If we show them that we have the people behind us, and that's what uh, Nader was saying today. If you, get, if you do it the right way, you can apply that leverage and you can move the needle to push them to do what we want them to do. And that's what we need to do. And that's why I continue to say to you and the rest of the RBN crew, 
why it's so important to get your message out and, and doing, you know, getting more audiences to hear you. Because as soon as people hear you, they start to connect the dots immediately, like in a matter of seconds. It's like, yeah, these people are screwing us over. And by the way, we're all more alike. I mean, there's some as among the classes. Like, I think Noel was making the point, or it, maybe it wasn't Noel, one of, one of the callers before, where she was saying about focusing not on social issues, but rather on the money. And the fact that if we focus on those issues, and you were saying it too, Savvy, with the MPP, that that's what they wanted to focus. And then, you know, unfortunately, they haven't been able to do any of that. But that's what people can get behind on because it becomes, you know, everybody's worried about their jobs, their health care, uh, the money that they're going to get or not going to get. These are all things that we all have a common focus on and we can all get behind that. So. I really want to encourage you and, and the rest of the RBN crew that in 2023 that you come to us, to your audience, so that we can help you to get out there in somewhere or another with a speaking tour. So I just want to end it there. I just want to say thank you to keep up the good work, Savvy. Thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you so much, Eric. Yeah, um, I think you're right. I mean, I don't think many people expected RBN to, to grow the way that we have. Now, granted, there is YouTube. Depression, I'd argue we would probably be at 100,000 subscribers right now if YouTube didn't change their algorithm, right? A lot of people are in that situation. But even though there is that suppression, we're still growing at RBN. And, you know, I have to give out shout outs to those that like gave us a platform and allowed us to come on and, and tell people our message. Uh, I think that's very key. But to your point, I'll give you guys an example of how even people that claim to be allies with us have started smearing us uh, recently. Recently, even Vanguard trying to smear us about things that are not even true. And it's so funny to me. This is hilarious to say, oh, Sabrina is a, a, a Nick Brana supporter. That's hilarious considering I interviewed Nick Brana and Vanguard covered the interview that I did with Nick Brana and applauded me for holding his feet to the fire. All of a sudden, they don't remember that. That shit's still up on their channel. Or somebody got screenshots somewhere. So this is just the, even the people who were, some of them who were allies with us in the beginning, they have turned and they've tried to start smearing us too. Um, it's very telling. I think everyone should go back and watch that interview I did almost two years ago with the Vanguard on my show. That was before... I started doing live streams, so it was recorded and uploaded, and it's called Interview with the Vanguard. Go watch that video and tell me who changed. One of us did, it wasn't me. So you, you see what is happening. So all these different people now trying to smear us, come for us, all that kind of thing, and then you have other people who feel like maybe they need to do a podcast tour to help keep people in the two-party system, because I think you're right, Eric, that more people are waking up to the fact that this ain't working. And I think there's that fear of that message that Ralph Nader has, that message that Jimmy Dore has, like that message getting out to more and more people. And I'm hearing it more and more every day, like working class people are just like, man, look, I voted for Joe Biden. Who's he screwing over working class people? I voted for Joe Biden. Who's he screwing over? The railroad workers we don't even want to give the people sick leave. Voted for Joe Biden. He said he was going to cancel student loan debt, only did a portion of it, and then it was shut down because he didn't do it the right way. 
I'm hearing it all the time. And so I think that that is fear uh, for some people. If people were to leave like this two party system and say, I'm not going to do this anymore, particularly African-American voters. That's why I brought that up to Ryan Grimm. Black people are leaving the Democratic Party. You guys, the numbers don't lie. David Sirota wrote an article about this. And I know I have my opinions of David Sirota, but his writing is great. David Sirota wrote an article about this recently with the data. The numbers don't lie. People are freaking the fuck out because they know, especially the Democratic Party, they know they're losing black people. And they can't win without the African-American vote. They just can't. So you're going to see all kind of things. You're going to see all kind of things. I, you know, yes, we would like to go on the road, those of us at RBN, eventually get out there and like talk to people in person as well. Uh, I know we are trying to raise money for that eventually down the road. I think the big focus right now is getting the camera equipment because I'm going to keep it real. It's rough trying to uh, it's rough trying to do live streams on the ground on my phone. <laughs> it has been a struggle. It has been a big struggle. <laughs> hey, but I make it happen. But it, yeah. But I think that um, we, we got to figure out what's happening here. Why have some of these left podcast hosts all of a sudden start shilling for Joe Biden after he won? What happened? What happened to the people who used to hold corporate Democrats feet to the fire? What, where did that all go? It's just like anytime I'm sitting here and I'm watching Anna Kasparian out left you, something is wrong. Something is wrong here. But yeah, Eric, thank you so much for that. Okay, I think we have Lance coming up next. Lance, you are on the mic, Mr. Man. The ladybug is in the house. <laughs> How you doing, Sabrina? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, uh, thanks. How are you? You're good. Sound good. <laughs> I am good. I am good. So. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so Ralph Nader. I mean, uh, first of all, as far as the left and all, and 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 all these folks, they're like you said about the word progressive and everything. They're making it worse than if they just would just go away because this cowardly. They don't have your back. They just won't have your back, and that's the ten percent, right? The ten percent elites that forced the issue on environmental stuff and all kinds of groovy stuff in the 60s and early 70s. Even Nixon had to sign a lot of stuff. And if he over, uh, vetoed stuff, they overrode him. So, you know, everybody knows that. And But now that's you got to fight them just as hard as you got to fight the, the 1%. And that's just sad. And that's just like isn't there anymore, that 10% elite. It really, really, really is going to make it very, 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 very difficult. Um, but uh, the cowardly, they just won't have your back because they – they like it just the way it is. They're status quomoids, as we used to call them, just like the uh, country club Republicans used to be. That's who they are, country club Democrats now, you know. Um, yeah, I was thinking they, they both go to the same country clubs, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and uh, like Boehner with his, you know, red wine and connoisseur and all that stuff. Um, it was actually during the pandemic in other words, it is kind of a mystery that the Democrats really did do that well. And a lot of it was people at the polls just wanted the democracy thing and the uh, anti-abortion stuff, all that. Like the 
the circular firing squad was on the Republican side this time instead of the Democrats, all that. But somebody pointed out and they had the the receipts, you know, the statistics. I don't know if it was 538 or whoever. It might have been someone else. During the pandemic, so many of like, say, coastal elites, frankly, that could afford it. You know, you see, everybody saw the, the, the stories about it. So many actually moved to suburbs of purple swing districts. And because that's their constituency now, are the elite suburbanites, you know, elite, <laughs> they, they, enough of them moved to purple districts that, that might have kept it close. It's a good, interesting point, right? I don't know. Yeah. Um, now, as far as Ralph Nader, you know, I mean, uh, you practically know my half my life story by now, but when I was a young muck, my first, you know, I was kind of a liberal out of the womb, you know. And Nader, okay, he happened to have started. And it wasn't like a big thing. He was already kind of already a fixture, you know, by the, say, late 70s, very early 80s. And uh, so going to work for NYPIRG, which is issue-oriented, it was a Nader-started thing, USPIRG, CALPIRG, NYPIRG. And it's still around, New York Public Interest Research Group. And you have a petition and go door to door and have people sign stuff, uh, you know, about a specific issue. Uh, that people are working on. And there was always several legislative issues and whatever area we were in, we'd have something that was as localized as possible. If there was some legislation in Albany that was going on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and again, they're still around they were always located, mostly headquartered at college campuses um, and all that. So Nader, I mean, God, I, you know, so I, without even thinking about it, I learned from him how to do this stuff. I actually set up just by copying their way of doing things uh, to an, with another environmental group there, specifically environmental group uh, back in the day. And, you know, what I, I like Brianna Joy Gray. I do. I mean, I think she's great. I, I do. But she's just so wrong. I mean, she just doesn't quite get it about, like Nader said, it's about showing up. And he said the 500,000 thing that your previous caller was talking about for a congressman, 500 people on a petition to force you with, with a brief, with an agenda. And he said professionally done, like brief, you know, uh, uh, to the point uh, and with a, a letterhead. Doesn't have to be a big group, but somebody that's, you know, a legitimate organization. Uh, he says you can't just go on the corner and get the scribble signature, you know, like you do for big petitions that, you know, get, you know, for stuff. It's got to have very uh, typed out, basically, uh, in addition to the handwritten signature of the contact. This is their email, you know, so that you can verify, you can vet every single one so that it's a real petition of 500 real active, you know, like, probable voters, all that. As long as you do it professionally like that, which isn't that much to do. Hell, I could do that, and I'm a, just a, a schlep on the, you know, low-tech schlep. All right, a thousand for a senator. You do that, they will show up. Oh, I don't know. Gee, you know, maybe I think she was implying like maybe back in the day that worked, but now things are so Ralph Nader knows what that time it is, right? Literally, he knows it's 2022. And he, he gave her the receipts. He said, look, two things he said. One is, 750,000 people per district. The math works out. 500 gets on their radar. He knows this stuff inside down, upside out. And she kind of pushed back again a little bit. And then he's like, look, let me give you an example. And he mentioned John Boehner. Yeah. Hello. Can we add Paul Ryan? Can we add Andrew McCarthy or whatever his name is, McCarthy? You know, the McCarthy ain't Pelosi. 
McCarthy's not out there wielding some behind the scenes power to hold people in line like Papa Bear, like, no, 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 like Pelosi. He's the exact opposite. Excuse me. He's sucking enough. You know what? And begging enough people of that minority. He said it's 32 people in the house that are controlling that son of a gun. Not the other 170. Okay, so it's just such a joke. And I, you know, I don't mean to say Brianna Joy Gray, but she she doesn't get it. It really is only 500 or a thousand people. That is what the Republicans are now doing. Not just at school boards and and local council places. 500 people or a thousand people will get the attention of the national politicians. And and let's face it, I'm sorry. People on the right more rapidly fight for what they want than people on the left. They always have. I hopefully they won't always will. But one more last thing. Well, wait, wait a minute. Wait a go minute. Ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. What do you What do you mean? What do you mean when you say Bree doesn't get it? On this particular point, she kept pushing back to Ralph Nader that, gee, I don't And she even said it later after he gave her the receipts and pushed back, you know, and then explained it to her twice that. And then after on the after on the call in, I didn't call in. I don't think on that I didn't get in. You know, I didn't call in. I was way, 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 way at the back of the queue. But anyway, it was like, well, yeah, but I don't think that Nate Ralph, I'm not sure it would work with the five with the signatures and stuff. Yes, it does. It, and, he, and, you know, and even Ralph said at the end of that, well, I don't think it's been tried. And he pays attention. Ralph is not coming in with like, well, I got, you know, back in the day, we know how to do stuff. And this is like some template he's digging out from 40 years ago. He keeps track because he talked about Hakeem Jeffries. He talked about specifics. Oh, yeah, this is where Hakeem Jeffries came from. This is how he got where he got. He knows the current crowd. Okay. Yeah, Ralph Nader yeah, is recently, not some like ancient yeah, person who doesn't to, know exactly how things work today. And he was a hundred Go ahead. I have to interject here for just a second. I don't know that so well because I, I don't really know about that today because recently I saw on Twitter, Ralph Nader was saying that the Democratic Party wants $15 minimum wage. That's not true. He listed all these things. These were progressive things. He said they want $15 minimum wage. He said they wanted Medicare for all. That was not true. The Democrats, there were seven Democrats and one independent that voted against the $15 minimum wage. So I, I was surprised to see Ralph Nader say that the I'm Democratic shocked. Party also does not want Medicare for all. If they wanted Medicare for all, they would bring, bring it to the floor for a vote. They're not bringing it to the floor because Rokana told me so himself. They don't have the votes. So I was surprised to see that tweet uh, wow. from Ralph Nader. So I don't know if that's necessarily true today. I'll have to finish watching that interview with Bree and oh, with, watch um, it. But wow, that's Nader, a tweet. I don't How think. Long? I don't think it's fair to say that she doesn't get it. I think well, on, that, well, I mean, on that point that Nader was making, I, if he's tweeted that, was that recent? I, or, I don't care when it was. That was, I, like it just, a couple, that was a couple of weeks ago. I bet you, because he don't tweet that often. I don't wow. know if it's him that manages his Twitter account or not, but he does not tweet that often. I'll have to go back on Twitter and, and pull that up. Because I remember I saw that and we were talking about that. Those of us um, at RBN, we were like, what the heck happened to Ralph Nader? So I don't know too much about that. I, I don't know if I would go that far, but I well, do think I do think that Bree does get it. And I think I don't know if you've listened to it or not, but if you haven't listened to that call in episode that she did after that interview with Ryan Grimm and Ryan Grimm was on the call in. Uh, that right there lets you know she she definitely gets it because oh my gosh I loved that she was awesome she was 
awesome, 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 10,000%. But on that, on that specific point, what I saw back and forth with Ralph Nader was she, she does not think that, that that's going to work, that you could petition people on so that that approach is going to work. And I, you know, it, so you may be right that what Ralph Nader, I guess what he's implying, but see, I think that he's not implying, no, no, let's do it within the Democratic Party and not do other stuff. I think he's like, you know what? No, the day after the election, the day after I don't get elected for the Green Party, I think is what he meant. I'm not trying to correct you. I don't think you're saying this, the opposite of this, but I mean, I think he means like, all right, they're in there now. Now put their feet to the fire. But if he said that, like defending the Democratic Party on Medicare for all or fight for 15, then I am very, very surprised because I will say this. I think that uh, Chomsky, I just really fundamentally disagree with on a lot of this kind of like, you know, the lesser of evil stuff and all this. I, I really profoundly disagree. And even Chris Hedges said you know, I still agree with Noam. He can call him Noam. He doesn't have to call him Professor Chomsky or Sir, because they're like as younger as he is. They're out, you know, they're peers, but and friends, you know. But he said, you know, I have to disagree with Noam on this. But ninety, I still agree with this, you know, and think he's a preeminent active and activist and and and, and the real deal. Ninety five percent of the time, I agree with him. He says, but. He said on the on the uh, you know he was like you said before just a few minutes ago, Sam about. Not being down with Bernie from 2015, even during the during the primary season before he even was going to get possibly even in there in 15, he already see could see that Sanders wasn't going to do a third party and he was already soured. And it took me and you know I guess a lot of people right to that he was ahead of the curve on a lot of things like he always is, Chris Hedges, um, you know. But he disagrees with Chomsky on that. And if if Nader said that, then I profoundly disagree with Nader on that. I didn't. I can't watch, believe it. Watch the watch the interview that Ralph Nader did with Chris Hedges on Real News Network. The most recent interview he did with Chris Hedges because I had to push back on some of the things that Ralph Nader said. Oh, wow, I will. So, so Some of his takes recently have been a little bit more like, yeah, you got to vote for the Democratic Party. Yeah, wow, 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 wow. Yeah. Well, that's not good, but, but, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't by any stretch of the man. I, I, you know, my goodness, I think brief, like as good as it gets in terms of, you know, uh, what she does in terms of how she handles, you know, and it, it used to be like a regular thing. And I don't mean to say, oh, yeah, you know, it's no big deal. It is a big deal of getting people that she has diametrically opposed to or getting two people that are diametrically opposed to each other and handling interviews and debating people and, and interviewing people uh, that she disagrees with. She's a thousand percent brilliant. And I think she would in back in the day when we had the real meritocracy, she should be like kind of a national anchor person. I mean, she's got, I think she gets all, you know, riled up in her, in her call in chat. But I, I think that that's not an act at all. In fact, you would be great at that too. You could be like a national anchor because you, You've already got the composure that 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 Bree doesn't. You know, she gets more you know riled up, and I think it's because she knows the she knows the forum she's on. But anyway, both you guys, I mean, literally, could be national anchor people in a in a good year. She's wonderful, but I thought, you know what? It just doesn't seem to be the case that there is that much, you know, I don't know, like effort on the on the level on the left to try to. Do more, you know, on the local level. And I, I'm, I, I'll just this, you got other callers, all that. I have never in my life, literally, other than very, 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 very limitedly been involved in, um, 
uh, what do you call it, in uh, electoral politics. Ralph Nader and Ipre was great, and then every other group I went on to from there, on the left, it just was like, oh my God, they got lost in like 100% consensus, 19 people out of 20 would agree, and that idea of, no, it's got to be 100%, if, unless you have a moral objection, and one out of 20 would say no when you couldn't do it. It's like, no, come on, people. You know, and so things like that got crazy, but, and so I just booked bands and did things on my own whenever I did stuff involving myself in the liberal community right. and said, um, I can work, I, you know, I just want to say, um, I want to make sure I get to the next caller. Like, yeah. well. But, um, I think that, I think we have to give people more credit and, you know, anyone who's been in this space longer than I have, they, they know what's going on. Um, I, I think they do, they do understand, but I, I will say to this point is that when we talk about the local level, you just mentioned um, leftist organizing on the local level. The organizing is happening on the local level to get these progressive policies implemented. They're, they're just not necessarily being done by only leftists. Like a lot of the things that have been brought to the ballot in Massachusetts, it wasn't just leftists working together to get those uh, ballot initiatives passed. And that's the difference uh, legalizing marijuana, that was something that people who were on the right here approved of and people who are um, liberal, people who are, are progressive also approved of here in Massachusetts. Uh, and you got to think when people are voting, it's not just these progressive policies that we've passed. It's not just leftists voting for these policies. It's also people who might be conservative as well because oh. it, their economic yeah. needs. And that oh. goes to the point that Noel was talking about when uh, not Noel, excuse me, Robin was talking about, we can organize with people when it comes to some of these economic issues. I've seen it done in Massachusetts. And I know a lot of people think we're just, this is a progressive haven. It's not. There are parts of Massachusetts that are very red, uh, particularly central Massachusetts. And there are parts of Massachusetts that are just, you know, suburban liberals. Um, but I think that that's the key. It's you can't just do it with leftists because no, right. you're not going to get as much support. But the things that we have gotten on the ballot here, it wasn't just leftists who were organizing right. to get those. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because you know me. I mean, I always I'm always talking about working with people that I disagree with, people that are you know Trumper types and all that. Absolutely. Absolutely. If I can make just two quick, quick, very, very quick. So. I call you know, Ryan Grimm. You can't make these people's names up. Ryan Grimm. He's like the Grim Reaper. But you remember Tim Russert from uh, Meet the Press? You don't remember? I think, That's I think a while so. ago. He was like a real bulldog boy. and He would get his guests on there and he wasn't like Ryan Grimm boy. He was like Chris Matthews. Another perfect example. Chris Matthews with hardball. It was hardball until, but he would never ask the tough questions either. He was, of course, an apologist for the Democrat. His wife was a, a, a lobbyist, like David Sirota's wife. Not to diss David Sirota, he does good work. I'm not here to try to dissolve anybody, you know, they're all great. But what I mean is, so forget, David Sirota's a lot better than Chris Matthews. But what I mean, though, is Chris Matthews was all part of it, being a Democratic apologist. Hardball, hardball, yeah, but it was really softball. Tim Rush at the same thing, and Ryan Grimm just have a different, quiet approach, but you've always had these, like, fake, like, you know, straight ahead, you know, on liberal media, uh, you know, they ask, they, they ask the tough question, but they really never follow him up. They had, top, when uh, John Kerry was a terrible candidate, Tim Rusher had him on right around Memorial, uh, Labor Day when everything's cranking up and everybody's paying attention. The whole segment was about the swift boat veterans for truth, and are uh, you sure? Uh, they said this, and they said that. I'm like, forget it. That was the last draw. And uh, fair fairness and actually in re reporting did a thing and they, they showed that 
he didn't ask any tough questions at all when they act like they channel the words and they, you know, they do those actual searches, you know, and it was crazy. But, oh, the other thing was that was just one thing that like, you know, uh, Ryan Grimm's uh, the, the latest in a long, long line of uh, pseudo attack dog or, you know, challenging or whatever you want to call them, journalists with all well, they are access journalists that really aren't going to upset the apple cart to make sure they keep getting access, you know. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but now that that railroad party in a nutshell, I've said this before is that I'm so psyched about that for the first time really in my life that I want, I'm enthused about electoral politics. If they follow through with a third party, because they will be for real. And I don't want to go back to like, okay, forget about the mafia. I don't want to go back to like the knuckle busting, you know, uh, uh, union tough guy type stuff. Of course not. Of course not. You know, it has to be modern day and I'm sure it will be in terms of being sensitive to modern issues of social justice issues that are real. It's not all identity politics, but considering that these are going to be old school type guys and i think that the amazon workers and the uh and the starbucks workers they have different profiles and it's wonderful because amazon is big blah, 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 and look how successful with christian and the fact that starbucks workers a lot of times and this is not a put down oh they're just a bunch of baristas they have the advantage of maybe it is a type of job that's for more for students maybe going to college it's not something that maybe you're going to necessarily in most part make a career of so i'm not putting down the starbucks you Union. I'm just saying the nature of the railroad union will be like old fashioned, old school union that will be not back down. They will understand how the fight's got to go if they're going to go that route with the third party. And it won't be. In other words, I, ho- I certainly hope that it's sensitive to modern issues about gender and all that. But it won't be like woke. You know what I mean? Like the MPP was supposed to be. And I think it will be straightforward. It will be, you know, like the uh, eye on the prize focused on it's a worker's party and yes we'll incorporate all these things but they won't get distracted by modern day social networking twitter or any of that it'll be like i think that, you know i am just already optimistic that this if there's a railroad spirited you know railroad union spirited third party nationally i have a feeling it's going to be a wild success i just ha- i just have an ink awesome thank you so much lance i want to go ahead and bring in uh matt and uh, Roger Meadows, feel free to uh, chime in um, here and there. I have a hard stop at uh, twelve fifteen tonight, guys, because I'm doing fault lines in the morning. Um, go ahead, Matt. You just have to unmute yourself. Just got to hit that unmute button. Not sure what happened there. Um, case, I see case study is here. Case, I'm inviting you to speak. What's going on, Case? And Roger, what's up? Hey, much love, Sabby Sabs. Appreciate you bringing you me go, on. Case. And much, much love to the chat. I thought that I just watched the Ralph Nader, um, not the Ralph Nader interview that you did. Um, it was Ryan Grimm. Excellent interview, as usual. I really enjoyed uh, the questions that you asked, and I disagree with somebody said. I think it was a super chat or somebody said, um, if you bring him on, you have to always, I forgot exact verbatim what it was like, you have to yell at him. And I disagree with that. I think that you asked the tough questions um, with the right tone and he answered it. And he, and I don't think he felt attacked, but he answered, you know, um, in a way that we still, he will still come on in the future. And I think it's valuable to have access to um, 
people like Ryan Grimm not to have like um what's that word uh like access just for access um but access so that we could t- ask him the tough questions and and I know you're not going to filter the questions that you're going to ask him you're going to ask him the questions that we the people want him to um to answer and he does have that a- access to the squad also so we could try to put pressure and I, I could I could tell you you ask the questions should hopefully it put pressure on him to be more stern with the squad next time. So anyway, I know you have the heart out at 1215 and um, much love to you and uh, uh, keep it up. Thanks so much, Case. Yeah, I don't like yelling at at people that I'm interviewing. Um, I like to, you know, I'll, I'll be stern, but I don't think you're really getting anywhere by yelling at them. Yeah, it may be entertaining for people. <laughs> it might be really entertaining, but... I don't need to uh, articulate myself that way. Um, go ahead, uh, Roger. You just have to unmute. Yeah, Ryan wanted make wanted. Um, I felt like falling asleep. The guy was so boring. Um, <laughs> oh, go ahead, Roger. Just, just, just Ryan in general. He, Makes makes people want to fall asleep, but um, oh. Oh, can you hear me? We can hear Did you. Did I lose you? We can hear you. Oh. We can hear you. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm on blue. We can hear you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I would say uh, I don't know. I I I understand. Like, okay, so. The argument regarding, um, oh yeah, by the way, uh, my my customers love your show. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the argument of um, saying he's looking calm and it makes, you know, like why everyone else is yelling or whatever the case is and people will see that as, um, oh, well, this guy Ryan looked calm, and these people look out of control. Those people who think like that have no empathy. I mean, they were never on our side to begin with. So, as far as I'm concerned, they're just looking for an excuse um, not to be on our side because we look, you know, wild and outrageous, or, or, or whatever the case is. Instead of asking the question, well, wait a minute. What's making them, you know, why are they so wild and outrageous? You know what I mean? Like, if, if you're thinking, if, if someone is looking at and thinking, well, Ron, Ryan looks more reasonable, then most likely they're already in a comfortable position. So they can never understand us and our perspective. They might have it one time, but they don't anymore. So I just say they're going to think however they're going to think anyway. So I just say, um, let the rage out. So that's pretty much what I got to say about that. Yeah, that's that's just not who I am. Like, that's not my approach. No, I don't, I don't mean you. Yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't mean you. I mean, you know, uh, um, you know, just just in general. That's yeah. all. Hey, can I say one more thing real quick, real quick? Um I thought it was something that Ryan said about 
the system about um, he's talking about working within the Democratic Party, working within the Republican Party. And he said that he he believes it doesn't matter. Let's say a new two party comes up and takes over. He thinks that could get corrupted as well. So I think it's very important not for us only to advocate for a new party, but also advocate for that party to have a good system, to have a good um you know, we talk about how DSA uh, it doesn't have a great system of kicking out members that don't adhere to their, you know, to their uh, charter or whatever it is. Um, we got to whatever comes, whatever we support moving forward has to have a very good system. That's all. That's a good point, Case. And and that's why exactly why I asked him, like, do you still support putting progressives through the Democratic Party? Because you just criticize the system. So you know the system that they're going into. He said he still support him. I'm like, well, I don't. Um, because it's just you just laid out the problem. The system is the problem. So this is not something that one person is going to change. Like he said, Bernie Sanders is just one person. No one person is going to change the entire system, right? Yeah. You have to tear the system down. You have to build, tear the system down and build something that is new. You have to get corporate money out of electoral politics. And that's why I said, as long as that money is still there, nothing is going to change because the parties are owned. So Ryan Grimm heard that. Ryan Grimm knows that. And he still went on to say, I support putting progressives through the Democratic Party because you wouldn't have gotten these wins. And he mentioned the wins. And I told him those wins, those wins are crumbs. That's nothing. <laughs> We're in the middle of a pandemic. That's the best they can do yeah, is to give people this crazy. child tax credit. I, can that I give you an ended? example of what something I was thinking about? Go ahead. Sorry. Um, one example, quick example of something I was thinking about for the, what I'm working on. We should, in the electoral politics side, let's just say the House of Representatives, for example, we should allow a limit that, let's say we elect a mutual aid person a party into uh and they won after three terms which is six years if they want to run again they have to get a super majority of our vote meaning you know how we, we well you might not know but the, my idea is to have a pre-primary where the mutual aid party you know within that district they vote for who they want they have to get a super majority, meaning they have to get like 70% of the vote. So let's say, because I was thinking about it, if if we had another, you know, now Bernie Sanders have, you know, we feel differently by him. He's pretty much acquiesced. But let's say we're back in 2016 where we, we like Bernie Sanders and we're like, man, we want him to run and we want him to continue running. Well, in Vermont, he got 70% of the vote. Why? Because he, he was super serving his community. He one thing about Bernie back in the day, he went to all the different districts. That's how he got so popular, especially as a socialist. That's how he won office. So I was thinking that we want to put in the system that, okay, for the first three terms, you just need 51 percent of the vote to win whatever. But after three terms, we want to have a good turnover of leadership of people being able to run in that position. So we don't want career politicians. But if for some chance you're super, absolutely super serving your community, you're going on Savvy Saps once a week, you're going to RBN, you're going to all these different places, and the community loves you, that to the point where you're getting 70% plus, okay, we'll allow you to continue on. And 
therefore you're creating a system where people like 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 say AAC gets in there she's like man if I want to continue running in this position I need to make sure I super 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 serve my community and do exactly what they want so that I could get up to 70 percent and I think um, that's an example of something I've been thinking of That's a really good point, uh, Case, as well. Uh, Matt, um, I don't know what happened with Matt. Matt, I think Matt may be having um, trouble trying to unmute. So let me just go ahead and bring in uh, Neo. Neo, you're on the mic. Hey, guys. How's it going? Going well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I um, I had caught a little bit savvy of you covering Bernie on like being questioned about Biden moving South Car- trying to move South Carolina or moving officially South Carolina up the schedule. Yes. And and yeah, and um basically I just was wondering your thoughts on kind of something I was thinking about here. I noticed like I feel like the conversation in lefty circles is a little bit like preemptively uh pessimistic sometimes. Like I look at the headline below a Bree video the other day and it's like biden rigging 2024 question mark or kyle kalinsky biden rigs 2024 and it's like we're talking about it from the pessimistic position as opposed to saying you know like oh but i I sent a super chat about this by the way so you probably already know what i'm saying but uh you know as opposed to saying like oh this is a big signal that biden's scared of a primary challenge and why don't we start looking at that and considering mobilizing um we all kind of just go into the dark place, you know? And I don't know. What do you think about that? Some of us on the local level are organizing and, and mobilizing. That's the thing. I think that a lot of people are only looking at this as how do we fix electoral politics on the national level? And, you know, that's that's kind of where a lot of us came from, right? Like the progressive movement, Bernie Sanders and the squad and this uh, idea of putting progressives through the Democratic Party. But I think that's a big part of the problem. I think it was a mistake not to focus on the local level. I really do think because this is what people have to understand. You have to have local politics to back up national politics. Right. Some of these uh, senators and congressmen and women came from local politics. So it's important that we mobilize people to change things on the local level. And I'm telling yeah, you from experience. I don't know, but I think like from faster. the national, I think, I guess to go back to the national though, like there's some people like Ralph was in that conversation the other day with Bree and he said, he mentioned like the long wait that keeps getting longer. And I think the reason I mentioned like Biden obviously being scared is that like, yeah, localism's great and doing mutual aid's fantastic and all the rest. But I think like if we keep neglecting, um, fixing nationalism uh, sorry not fixing, <laughs> fixing electoralism at the national level forever that's exactly what they want you know and so i don't know i just i just would can, hope can that- I- well i'm not saying i'm not saying ne- neglect it what i am saying though and i want to be very honest and transparent with you guys you are not going to be able to fix politics on the national level as long as corporate money is in electoral politics so but until I think like that's like living in the money. old frame. I think that's living in the old frame of mind, Sabi, you know, like I think like thinking that we need to fundraise to get a candidate to be popular enough to beat Joe Biden when he's like literally the most unpopular Democratic president in recent history. If you look at like his popularity versus a Biden, a, a Bill Clinton or a Jimmy Carter or whoever you go back in recent Democratic elected presidents, he's he's like historically unpopular. And so. 
I don't know. I just think we're missing. Uh, it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, but you can be historically unpopular and still win re-election. We've seen that you can be unpopular and still win re-election. That's the thing because of the framing that's coming from mainstream media that tells you you got to vote blue no matter who. You got to vote for the less of two evils because some know, people like, still Trump have. Was let me finish what I was saying really quick. Can I finish what I'm saying? Some people still have Trump derangement syndrome. And for them, that's enough to vote for the Democratic Party, regardless how bad the candidate is. How else do you get someone who is is weak uh, and pathetic and and has some of the racist rhetoric that he's had, like Joe Biden? How how else does he win when you had better candidates that were running? Because people had Trump derangement syndrome and some people still have it. That's what I'm telling you. People will still vote for him because he's not Donald Trump. So this is a big problem in reference to the money and the fundraising in order to win. Unfortunately, that is true. That is how it works. Typically, the candidate that has the most money is the one that wins. If you don't fundraise, you're not going to have the ads. People aren't going to know about you. If you don't have those TV spots, those radio spots, this was something that Chantel Brown actually beat Nina Turner at. She had way more ads whether it was on Hulu, whether it was radio, whether it was TV, those ads actually do impact the way that people will vote. You'd be surprised. And so if you don't have the money, you don't have any posters, you don't have any flyers to put out, you don't have any ads, you don't have anything without the money, not to mention when these people are running, if they have a job, they have to quit their job and focus on the campaign 100% of the time. So you have to have the money also for that person to be comfortable during that time. Maxwell Frost just talked about this, about how he had no money because he had to quit his job full time and focus on his campaign. So you cannot do this without the fundraising, but you can fundraise only on grassroots level and not the mm-hmm. corporate uh, corp- corporate level and taking corporate donors. You can do that. We've seen that happen obviously, and people win right. doing it that way. But I hate to say it again, the problem with the system that we have on the national level with electoral politics is the corporate money. Ralph Nader has spoken about this multiple times. Once upon a time, there was no such thing as political action committees. There was no such thing as PACs and super PACs. Once that came in, the game changed. So you can run whoever you want. But if they're still going into a corrupt corporate system, they will be controlled by those donors, even if they don't have those donors. That's what's happening to the squad. That's what's happened to Bernie Sanders. And that and anybody who tries to push back against that, those people are kicked out. That's what happened to Dennis Kucinich. So how did they kick out Dennis Kucinich? Because he wanted to push back against the Democratic Party. They decided to redraw his district. And that's how he lost. They'll do whatever they can to kick you out. They will primary you. They will raise money, which is what um, Bakari Sellers did. They will raise money to put up a pack against you. Your own party will do this so that you don't win re-election. That's what happens to the people who actually push back that say that they're going to go in there and fight. Those people are gone. Cynthia McKinney, Dennis Kucinich are the perfect examples of that. People who go along with the corporate Democrat and they play along to get along, those are the people who stay and have long careers in D.C. Go ahead, Roger. I want to make sure I get you in. Okay, so, uh, uh, Neo, do you know who uh, was the first president to even suggest a nationalized health care plan? I do not. 
Teddy Roosevelt. Okay. Okay. If that doesn't tell you, like, so we've been fighting for this for this healthcare nationalized for more than a hundred years. Sure. Okay. Sure. So, you know, what did Albert Einstein say about doing the same thing over and over and over again, accepting expecting a different result? What What is that? Oh, sorry, you're asking me. Uh, that's insanity, obviously. But exactly. I think, like, okay. I think honestly, so, I think the so, thing so, that we've so, done. So, sorry, so, I'll allow so, you to hold on. My bad. My so bad. here's the thing. It's more important who your governor is than who the president is. It's more important who your mayor is than who the governor is. It's more important who your state senator is than your U.S. senator. It's more important who your whoever your lower chamber of your state is, state lawmaker is, than your congressperson is. Okay, you can get a lot of stuff done at the state level. Okay, they it has a more and a local level because that has a more profound, immediate impact on our lives than what eventually trickles down from D.C. Okay, now if you want to go the national route, hey, have at it. Okay, but I've already seen where that path leads to a whole bunch of watered down whatever the case is. Now, as far as, yeah, when you was talking about uh, electoralism and stuff like that, it's the, it's the, the states that are in control of the voting. Sure. Now, like with their thing. ballot access requirements, et cetera. Yeah. Whether they want to do early voting, you know, all that <clears> different <throat> type of stuff. And the states are never going to let that go. Okay. So then you fight them where, where you're at then, because the thing is, I really do think that they're underestimating us because traditionally those who lean toward the left like to do traditionally do, you know, do the top down federal government thing. And those who more toward the right like to do the uh, what, what do you call it? The, the state by state thing. And that has to do go that goes back to um, reconstruction after post reconstruction after the Civil War and all that different type of stuff. I'm not really going to go into that history or whatever the case is. Um, but the thing is, what I'm saying is, I have is I have confidence that we can beat them at their own game. Yeah. They think yeah. that we cannot For beat sure. them at the state level. I think we can. I believe we can. You see what I'm saying? So. And I guess I was hoping people would see what I'm saying, that like with South, with South Carolina being moved up the schedule, that's a sign that they are scared that we could beat them on the national level. You know, it's like I know it sounds like I'm beating a thing to like death, but it's like, you know, we could go at either one. I think like I think like, yeah, you could definitely get a movement going uh, either online or on the ground in terms of petitions, what have you, uh, at the state level and try to do it for the governor. It's like an A or a B kind of thing. But. Like it depends on the person that you're trying to go for their seat and how unpopular they are and how likely it is you so, are to get enough people behind you on that. Gotta, you know, that I want to add in here really quick. Um, the problem that we'll ru- they will run into is the same problem that Bernie Sanders read, ran into. Any progressive coming in trying to get into the White House, the DNC is not going to let them win. They'll rig it just like they did in 2016. They can change the rules. During the Democratic primary, they did this actually during the Democratic primary debates. They changed the rules so that Mike Bloomberg could get on the stage. That's the problem. Or they, they tried to change a, it at one point to get Tulsi out, for instance. Like, it, it, yeah. Exactly. If if that if that wasn't an issue, Bernie Sanders would be our president right now and not Joe Biden. <laughs> right. Right. Sure. 
I agree. Yeah, with and, and just, yeah, I like, agree with the, the rigging system. In the past. Absolutely. Right. So the the system is a big part of the problem. Listen, the party picks who they want. They already decided. They had. Did you guys know it had already been decided years ago, years before Hillary Clinton ran in 2016. Hillary Clinton chose her running mate years before that. It was they had already chose Hillary Clinton. Bernie Sanders didn't stand a chance. They had already chose Barack Obama. This is what I'm trying to explain to people. They can pick who they want in the back room. They argued this in court. And then and then so what do you get? You get someone like Obama who makes a phone call and tells Bernie Sanders to drop out of the race. So or Bernie Sanders does so so cowardly and then tells his supporters uh, yeah, vote for Joe Biden. Same thing he did with Hillary Clinton, which he had already intended to do, according to Jesse Ventura and uh, Chris Hedges. They had already spoken to Bernie Sanders when he announced that he was going to run in 2016. And that and he, he like, had already said, if he, yeah, right. Yeah, he had already said that if he lost, he would be supporting Hillary Clinton. And like I said, I wish I would have known that back then because then I wouldn't have given Bernie Sanders any of my money. Right. So th- this is, you know, this is a big, a, a big, big part of the of the problem. Um, I want to make sure Ashura gets to speak too. But to the oh, yeah, point yeah, that hey, Rob well, I'll, was I'll saying just, about about the, the state. Thank for having me. Thanks so much. Thanks. The point that Roger was saying about the state politicians that you need to pay close attention to the governors. You have some of these governors in this country that are implementing laws and the president can't isn't stopping them did joe biden stop ron desantis from making that law against people protesting outside of people's homes nope is joe biden stopping these governors from changing their state laws about abortion did he stop governor abbott from changing the abortion laws in the state of texas no he didn't this is why local politics is very important some of these governors are making decisions that are very scary And people are not paying attention to it because everybody's focused on Joe Biden and Trump derangement syndrome. Go ahead, Asher. Uh, Yeah, uh, so many people were talking tonight, so my mind's a bit scrambled. But I will say, uh, case study did a, he had a a clip basically on Twitter where AOC basically had a documentary everywhere. And uh, apparently it's not making money. Like, even the shit libs are not supporting AOC on this one. Even Fox News reported on it. It's a documentary, and guess how much money a ticket costs to go watch that shit? $80. That's ridiculous. No, I think, um, just to, I think the correction is just to correct that record. I think it's, because I saw somebody commented on that, that said it was $80 a ticket. I think it was, they made $80 in the whole theater. Meaning like oh, okay. eight, eight people came. <laughs> oh, I, I know which one was. you're talking about. I think it was it was just one that they the same um producer that did knock down the house. They did another one with AOC. David Sirota. Um, no, no, David Sirota didn't do that documentary, knock down the house. That's on Netflix. Um, it was the same producer, and this time they featured you know last time they featured AOC, Corey Bush. Um, Amy Valella and I believe somebody else and then but this time it featured AOC and then the person from um, man uh, Sunrise Movement the, the, the executive director and two other people so it was like it was like a continuation of that first documentary and it it didn't do well at all in the theaters yeah I heard they made like a 10 grand or 100 grand 
Let's make sure we bring in Guy, too. Guy, what's hey. up? Hey, Savvy. Thanks for uh, having me on. Um, yeah, I just wanted to fill up, uh, pick up on one point that uh, Noelle made that uh, I thought was really valuable. Uh, she didn't totally finish the thought, but I thought I'd add in some details. Uh, you know, the original labor movement historically, like the early labor movement from the 19th century in this country, wanted to develop a theory of labor rights based on the 13th Amendment, which is something that not a lot of people know about. Okay, so they wanted to say, look, the 13th Amendment, which obviously banned slavery, has implications in terms of labor rights. So you basically there isn't any real, uh, very clear definition of slavery, believe it or not. I know that sounds shocking. I mean, there was a whole civil war fought in this country over slavery, but there isn't a absolutely ironclad definition of precisely what slavery is. So in other words, what if you're coercing people in a variety of ways, like the ways that the U.S. Congress is allowed to coerce the rail workers? They're not literally able to enslave those workers, but they can seize their union assets. Uh, they can disband their union altogether. There's all kinds of really draconian punishments that they can inflict on those workers if they were to have a wildcat strike, for example. All right. I almost thought you said it indentured servitude. Well, you know, you could maybe call it that, but the bottom line is it's coercion, okay? It shades into slavery. There's a very wide swath of territory between what constitutes slavery and what, you know, is simply free labor, right? Like there's a whole gradation, there's all kinds of gradations of coercion. And the original labor movement in this country wanted to say that the rights of labor should be protected by the 13th Amendment. So this is, you know, and, and unfortunately that didn't happen because the Supreme Court of the Lochner era established labor rights under the uh, Interstate Commerce Clause, basically considering labor as an article of commerce. And that was what gave the federal government the right to uh, in, enact regulations on conditions of, of labor, workplace and, and, and wage conditions. It also, um, um, I just want to add, it also um, gives the, provides the excuse for prison labor too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, basically I, I just wanted to make that point because I think that it's a principled argument that we should pick up even though – Unfortunately, we, that is the working class, lost that fight back in the 19th century. I don't think we should consider that fight over. I think we should say, look, coercion, coercing people is not right. Coercing those rail workers is not right on principle. And that's the reason why we should stand up, you know, for the rights of labor and say, look, this is, you know, not exactly slavery, but it's getting there. To say that workers can't go on strike, that's the one power that workers have is to withhold their labor. And if you say that they can't go on strike and they can't withhold their labor and you're going to inflict a punishments over and above the punishment that they already have, which is implicit in capitalism, which is that they're not going to earn their wages, that, that's already a given, that you don't get wages. So, you know, the employer class, the bosses, they already have that power over us, right? The power that they're going to withhold our, la our wages if we don't work for them. What on earth is the right of anybody to say, well, on top of that, we're going to inflict additional punishments now on you to coerce you into going back to your job? That's the one power that working people have is to withhold their labor, and we're going to take that away? That's so, you know, I think that's, you know, that's just a very important principle that we we should be really pointing out. Like this is it's, I, you know, I don't want to say that it's akin to slavery because obviously that gets into sensitive territory in terms of 
you know, yeah, that's why you could see so on. Why, but, why, how, how's that a slavery topic, basically? Well, I was just going to say, I was going to add here too, this whole rule that Congress can basically, you know, dictate whether or not the railroad workers get to go on strike is bullshit. Because I was telling you guys, I told Ryan Grimm this tonight, the railroad workers in the UK just went on strike. Well, right. And, and you know, that's another point that I think the squad should have made. I agree entirely with what Bree said, which is that if the squad had even made this vote, which I don't think they should have, this vote in favor of strike breaking. But if they'd gotten on the TV or if they'd been able to get on the TV, Brian Grimm made the point that, well, I don't think that they would have even been allowed to make this point. That was his argument. Uh, the media would have basically just iced them out. But But if they had had a plan, like a media strategy to say, look, this is absolutely unjust. We only did this for strategic reasons because we were implored to do this by the unions themselves. But we totally disagree with this whole principle that you can coerce workers into not going on strike, that you can coerce them out of withholding their labor, which is an absolute right that free working people should always have. If they had made you know, a big uh, stink about the fact that the Democratic Party and the Republican Party both are down with basically depriving people of their 13th Amendment rights, you know, I, I, like I would have felt different about the squad on this vote, right? That, that's to me the, the real problem. Is that, that, that point that Ryan made, that's why you don't tell the media what you're going to say before you go on there. I mean, it's absolutely. live. They could have still yeah. argued that point. Yeah, they probably wouldn't be invited back to have an interview, <laughs> but still take that yeah. chance that you have and get that word out. And they'd probably no, be ousted from Congress after that, to be honest as well. Um, but that's what they were brought there to do, right? Was to be like a left tea party. Well, look, I, I don't know that it was. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's so many different uh, points to be made on that score. Uh, to even compare the squad to the Tea Party is a bit problematic in the first place, just because the Tea Party is doing what capital wants. Of course, they're going to have an easier time of it. It's not like they're particularly more moral or courageous or stronger or something. It's just that they don't, they're not upsetting the apple cart of capital. They're you know? comparing it to the Tea Party. They just wanted that uh, backbone that they had, the energy right. to basically fight against the, uh, to, to fight against their leadership. Yeah, but the only reason it again, the only reason they got that energy is because Charles Koch is not going in there and saying, "Hey, uh, I don't like what the hell you're doing. Shut the f up." You know, that's the real truth of the matter. You know, there is was there an actual incident. A liberal, a liberal and a Republican is that the Republican doesn't give a fuck, and so they'll they'll basically cuss at you. What the liberal basically will cower in the corner because they can't stand people cussing at them. Yeah, but it's it's not that, dude. That's not what's really going on. There was actually an incident back in 2017, the very beginning of Trump's administration, when the Tea Party actually stood up and they came up with this thing called the border adjustment tax that basically was a left-right cross-cutting popular tax. What it would have done is it would have made it harder for US-based companies to import products that they make from abroad uh and, and there's like a tax break that they get for doing this uh, when they employ labor overseas. It's basically there's a break within the law that allows uh, companies, particularly the Koch brothers, make a huge fortune out of doing this, importing products from abroad that use foreign labor and, and get around paying taxes. Okay, So the, the Tea Party actually uh, you know, proposed as a way to – pay for their tax break to slap this thing called the border adjustment tax 
on those products, all right? Guess what? Guess how long that lasted? About a freaking millisecond. You know, you want to talk about how brave the so-called Tea Party is? Bullshit, dude. The minute that Charles Koch popped his fucking head up and said, you know what? You're not going to have that tax. That tax was yanked, and Mark Meadows, that shithead, backed the fuck down faster than you can blink an eye. So don't, you know, don't give me this shit that they're, like, more brave or they're, like, have stronger character or, like, more principled or more fight harder for their shit. It's not really the case. It's just that those fuckers have the backing of money. Like, the, the shit they do doesn't really upset Charles Koch. The minute it does, guess what? They back the fuck down faster even than AOC ever does. So, you know, that, I mean, the real bottom line is exactly what you said, Sabby. It's what money wants that dictates things, right? It's, it's not a question of the character, you know, who's better, who's stronger. It's, it's none of the, you know, who's Yeah, better, that's, a, who's that's a good point. I, I need to make sure. Yeah, I want to bring in... Um, Jonathan and Bad Cookies, uh, if you guys could unmute, I want to make sure I bring you guys in because I do have to get going uh, pretty soon. Um, but you guys just need to unmute. Go ahead, Bad Cookies. Sabby, I'm gonna make this real fast because I know you got a time limit. Uh, I, first, I wanted to thank you. I think you did a great job in your interview. I think you laid out your points very fantastically. You 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 gave your ideas to Grim. He obviously wasn't reciprocating. He was dodging a lot of the shit, and he uh, honestly avoided a lot of your questions. I think you did a fantastic job showing what kind of fucking grifter he is now the one thing i wanted to ask you and this will be quick like i said you mentioned earlier that you're going on uh, on fault lines tomorrow morning are you going to be streaming that or is that going to be on the fault lines on sputnik uh, news radio it will be on uh sputnik and it will also be on rumble because they're on rumble too so okay. that's that's typically how it is when i go on there Cool, because I'm definitely checking that out. I love Jamal Thomas, and I love you too. And I'm, I'm, I'll be there. I'll check you guys out. Thanks. Yeah, that's a really good show. You guys should uh, follow them if you don't follow Sputnik. Like it's Man uh, Manila Chan and Jamal Ch uh, Thomas, and they have some pretty in-depth discussions uh, over there. Go ahead, uh, Jonathan. You have to unmute. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much, Savvy. I'm gonna keep mine quick too. Um, Roger, I think the fourth person that you were talking about and bringing down the house, I think that was Paula Jean Spurgeon. Um, it, I don't know why I remember that, even though I never saw the documentary, but I think that was the fourth person that was in there. But um, I, had got, I had got home kind of late, so when I looked on YouTube and I saw what your, um, and of course your um, show came up, Savvy, it said Ryan Grimm joins. I'm like, joins what? What is he joining? I said, do not tell me this girl's going to interview, respectfully, Savvy. I said, please don't let, this girl's not going to interview this guy, no. <laughs> as soon as I clicked on it, it was an interview. I said, oh, no, no. Because before you covered it and before Jimmy Dore covered it, I listened to the interview. And on when I was going back, back and forth between home and work, um, and I was like, oh, my God. Ryan Grimm gave me such a headache. I... <laughs> When Kashama Sawan said, what the actual fuck? You know, I repeat that like, I replayed that like 16 times and laughed every time she said it. I was like, you got to, you really struck a nerve when someone uses the term actual fuck. And I got to, and I had to go on my phone and like, what does that mean? I've heard the entire fuck, but not the actual fuck. Wow. Um, he really was dodging questions on that interview. And when I was watching the interview with him, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. It's, like it's like he does this thing in the beginning, and it's like forced to vote against it, against it, against it, against it. 
And then all of a sudden he has an he has a um he has a discussion with Brianna Joy Gray, and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, yeah, you got a point there. Yeah, same thing with this one. Oh, um, well the the squad had to do this, squad had to do that, and all of a sudden, oh yeah, I see your point. I'm like, he keeps on doing this over and over again, <laughs> and it's so damn repetitive, and I'm I'm just over him, and I don't even know why even why y'all respectfully, I don't know why y'all even bother with him at this point. So yeah, that, that, um, was a, that was a what the fuck because he was basically saying he doesn't remember him attacking uh the, the, the summit that he was uh he was in what uh some place in Vermont or some shit like that. <laughs> Not what he said, but but I guess that's the excuse now. Every time he he said you RBN's gonna bring up that he smeared he smeared RBN, he's gonna say I was in Vermont that that time. Really, really you don't have internet. <laughs> we know Ryan Grimm is on is on the is on fucking Twitter. 24 fucking 7. Blocking <laughs> people and talking shit about them behind the block. So, you, so thank you, Ashur. And you're right. So, you need to start next time. He's like, oh, I said that. Have the receipts ready. Have them up and ready. Like, oh, wait, wait. Yes, you did. And here we go, right here. Because he's going to, because obviously dodging is his thing. So, yeah, that's all I really had to say, Sabrina. That was it. Yeah, like I said, he may not remember, but those of us at RBN definitely remember. Do you actually believe he doesn't remember? I don't know. Who knows? I I know one thing. I will say this is like, when that happened, we were like, why the hell is Ryan Grimm even paying attention to us? Like this at that time, you guys, we weren't even at 10,000 subs yet. (laughs) Like, that's the thing. Yeah, the funny part is when he said he had a burnout, he had a... (laughs) Worst of all, burnout. He was angry about it. That's why he attacked you guys. People criticized Ryan Grimm for Force the Vote for months after Force the Vote. Like, that shit went on for a long time. Oh, I'm pretty sure Jimmy's going to clip your video or invite you over. Because <laughs> he's going to enjoy this one. I'm kind of hoping maybe Jimmy doesn't see it because Jimmy probably be like, what oh. the fuck? <laughs> There's a point where he talks about his hair. He's like, "Oh yeah, some some YouTubers are talking about my hair." I'm like, "You know, just say his name." I'm like in the comment section, just say his name. Say it's Jimmy Dore. Just say it. What is the thing about the hair? Can somebody please explain this to me? I don't understand. Like when when people uh, make the jokes about the hair, what is that the thing with the haircut? I don't get it. I think it's well, you know how Ryan had a a well well coiffed hair. And I think Jimmy has a thing too with the hair where he's probably has like a couple of spots in his head. So he's kind of a little bit jealous because people have full hair. So he makes a joke about it. But Ryan Grimm takes that as an insult. Oh, okay. That all and makes then there sense. Was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the second one. The second joke about the haircut. That was, uh, what's his what's his guy's name? Kurt. Kurt made one of the ones to make that joke. I think that joke hurt Ryan Grimm, where he said that Ryan Grimm, during the COVID thing, where basically everything was locked down, Ryan Grimm was doing a self-help, a self-haircut. He was being his own barber, and the haircut turned out bad. Oh, dear. So you got a positive joke from Jimmy and a negative one from Kurt, so he's he's been messed up about that. Oh man, I try not to make like attacks about people's uh, about, especially with podcasters. Like I'll criticize them on the issues, but I try not to go after people's appearance. Um, 
I mean, that's that's just no, me. I, I can agree with that, but, but one thing about Ryan Griffin that really gets to me is just how boring he is. Like, when he was on the Hill, I was like, oh, God, this is what you replaced soccer with? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, this this can't work. And then now he's over at breaking points. Like, I'm like, why did they think this was a good – how did they think it was a good idea to bring – Ryan Grim, Ryan, boring ass Grim. To well, the fact that he's on he's on breaking points is a good, giant fucking question mark. How can you afford Ryan Grim if you're YouTubers? I don't know. I, I will say this: I know people that are journalists and people that are commentators, and some people that are are both. Right. So there are some people that can do both uh, really well. Max Blumenthal, you know, excellent writer also excellent commentator and max has a sense of humor right so that helps with the entertainment factor but also providing those hard-hitting uh facts that we need to hear about foreign policy that being said um from my experience some of the journalists that write really beautifully uh sometimes that energy does not transfer to on-camera uh performance uh, not not everybody has that and I just think with with Ryan, I think when he's doing the news, he's just reading the news. He's not looking to make it entertaining or uh, I don't know, to, to spice it up a bit. He's not looking to to do that. And so that might be what I think a lot of us are seeing. I mean, he's great. Because the reason why I say that, because I remember you did like a video about breaking points, like they might have some donors. So I, I guess... That's how they were able to afford Ryan Graham because I don't think Ryan Graham would be like getting away from the from the right from the rising the hill to just go to breaking points without some rich donor behind the scenes. Well, um, Indy Indy left from Indy Left News uh, wrote that article. That was the, I think the segment you're talking about is when Indy came on um, and was going through that article. Um, I mean, they have like subscription option where people can sign up to be um, a subscriber per se. Wasn't that that $2,000 subscribership, some shit like that? Yeah. And their information was like their, who their subscribers were. It was public information. Like it wasn't hidden or anything like that was on their channel where they had announced and they said, thank you guys so much for signing up for the subscription. So uh, some people are going more towards that model because... They feel like they can't rely on um, YouTube for money because videos get uh, removed or they can't rely necessarily on Patreon because Patreon has been removing people too. So some people have moved towards like that option. I mean, it is what it is. But that's but... where I'm confused that I'm back. Sorry, back to you saying. Um, I heard that he, I heard that he does write very beautifully, Ryan Graham, but for a man that's so boring, like he's great for CNN. He could be the next Wolf, uh, Wolf Blitzer. He is. He, that's how bad he is. But for independent media, like he stays in front of a camera. He went from the hill to breaking points to he could maybe have his own thing. I'm like, who finds this dude even remotely entertaining? That's what I don't get. It. That's- I don't think he, he he could be a wolf blitzer. I think he could probably replace uh what's his name? God damn it, the 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 will the bad guy. Uh, Anderson Cooper. What's his name? Anderson Cooper. Because basically Ryan Grimm has nice hair. Anderson Cooper has nice hair. So why would you get someone like uh <laughs> the previous guy you just mentioned? Because he doesn't have a good haircut. 
I think that um, I don't think Crystal and Saga were necessarily looking for entertainment, though. I think they're just looking for people that can do different parts of of media so people that i mean they have the counterpoint show and they have um uh they had added status coup also so that's the on the ground journalism you know basically like another version of tyt i think that's what they were looking to do um, to do uh and Ryan Grimm does have. And Ryan Grimm does have. That DC. Roger, can you mute? Because you. Roger. Thanks. Uh, Ryan Grimm also has access to those politicians, and they don't. That's uh, another piece. So you, you need that myself. piece, too. Uh, I'll say one last thing before I beat myself. I'm surprised that. Um, remember when you had that talk? I was thinking about it just today when you said that um, black people on social media spaces, they don't get as much uh, content. They don't get as much subs, people coming their way, as much as white, white your white counterparts, like uh, Jimmy or uh, uh, what's his name? God damn it. Jack- Jackson Hinkle? That's that's YouTube. That's YouTube's algorithm. Because the last time I looked at Jackson's numbers, he was basically trailing, uh, what's his face? Uh, Jordan Sheridan's numbers. Now he's at 200K, and that's just the war that he's talking about. And I'm like, wait a minute. RBN basically does way more shit than Jackson Hinkle. So shouldn't mm. you guys be like maybe at the same numbers, if not more? We should be at 100,000 subscribers right now. Again, the YouTube algorithm doesn't favor the things that we talk about. Because you also got to remember, we talk about policing a lot. And I can tell you, because I have TubeBuddy, which is an extension that you can purchase to add onto YouTube. I got to tell you, policing is not popular on YouTube with their algorithm. They heavily suppress uh, those stories. They suppress uh, stories where we talk about like black struggle. They'll suppress those as well. Like some of the people that you see that have like hundreds and thousands of subscribers um, that are black commentators, uh, it's usually someone like a Roland Martin who is vote blue no matter who, or they got in before YouTube changed their algorithm. But the rest of us, like we do really have to, we have to do twice as much work to even get some type of recognition. I can tell you the number of people who reach out to me like every other week telling me, I found you because you were on such and such show. That's how a lot of people find me now because someone that I brought on or they saw me on Rising or they saw me on Jimmy's show. But the people will tell me, they're like, your videos never came up as a suggestion or anything. They're like, I can't believe you've been doing this for almost two years. And that's what a lot of people are facing, but it's not just independent media. I want people to understand. I actually took a YouTube course for my job. I had to do this two and a half years ago. They were thinking about creating a YouTube channel for one of the programs that I worked on. So I I had to take this course about how to be effective on YouTube. Now, again, this was also before the algorithm had really changed. And one of the things that was talked about were the vocabulary that is heavily suppressed on YouTube. So there's certain words that the algorithm doesn't like. You know, one of the words is black. I didn't know that. Police. Yeah, because I noticed that, like, yeah, you're right. If you basically started before the YouTube basically started black, basically uh, reducing your uh, content to be seen by others. Other than that, I think you either should change to be a a black conservative because I see them have like huge numbers. 
So I think yeah, some 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 of them do, some of them don't. I've seen um, there's um, black conservative channels that are very small. I mean, it's just it again, like I said, because of Trump derangement syndrome, a lot of things change with the algorithms. Not even just uh, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Have y'all thought about? Yeah, and, uh, have y'all started changing like your titles? I know Kyle Kalinsky started doing that. So in other words, if you're talking about policing, change the O to a zero, stuff like that, or put asterisks where certain words. Um, yeah, you can letters. do that. You can do that too. But I'm also going to tell you uh, the algorithm doesn't like that either. The algorithm doesn't like symbols. The so algorithm. They catch, so they catching on. Right. The algorithm isn't too fond of numbers either. This is why a lot of times when I put a number in the title, I spell out the word. Uh Like last night I said part three and I spelled out three and not the number. Sometimes I don't do it all the time. Sometimes I forget, but the algorithm doesn't like that either. It's, it's just very much bot controlled. And I think that, you know, (laughs) YouTube really does need to change their, their algorithm. But, um, there's a lot of suppression that's going on there. It's not just independent media, though. It's also other content creators because I've I've had I entered this uh, space before. It was a webinar with other content creators. And believe it or not, there were black vloggers, like people that just do vlogs. And I've done vlogs before, too. They were also talking about how they were heavily suppressed. When it comes yeah. to black content, okay. Chris, it's like the only thing that pops up for me is like entertainment and celebrity news. That's it. Like, but when it comes yep. to issues, um, important yeah, issues, like what you cover, you tend to go up. Like, if you're a black conservative, they they try to talk about Disney and all that shit, and that their numbers go up. Yeah, another thing that's really popular too, believe it or not, is UFOs. Like people that talk about US UFOs. But yeah, that is one of the things I've noticed too. Usually the black content creators that appear for me are people who are talking about Will Smith, Chris Rock, yeah. uh, the, the celebrity uh, style content. That's also why um, for the Savvy and JB show that we do on RBN, that's why we made that more of like a pop culture show. It also gives RBN some type of safe content. Because again, we do talk about a lot of heavy issues on that channel. And so then we also have like that safe content where we're just talking about Ice Cube or or Jay-Z or something like that. And it gives people a break from politics for a change. And uh, last thing, Sabi, uh, I know you said that sometimes people give you shit behind the scenes and you don't tell us that. But I'm surprised that the Vanguard guys have now finally sucked into a new low, saying that you're you're a Nick Brana defender. I mean, we all saw that fucking video. You were defending him, basically. You were trying to get to the bottom of it. And I saw them basically clap about the video when they saw it. And they said, yeah, finally, Sabi's calling him out. That's how you did an interview because they didn't like how Jimmy did his interview. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were basically praising you because they were chest bumping themselves how they were right about MPP. But I'm like, I never thought these guys would go so low to now call you, you guys. Got, uh, sure, you got to be kidding me. Me, me, me defenders. Sure, you really got to be kidding me. When when they didn't when 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 they had Ryan Graham on their show and Jimmy Dore gave a donation asking a question. Yeah. And I guess he answered the way they wanted to. Zach went off. It was so bad they had to disable their comments. 
He went yes, off I on saw that. It was like $50 yeah. of Super Chats. Yeah. So, that, then, so, him, so them doing it to Sabrina does not surprise me. Because I'm like, if you do that to Jimmy, oh, you do that. Everyone's fair game. So yeah. Sabrina was fair game. So it didn't surprise me. After they did that, I said, oh, okay. I was like, this. Oh, if you don't like us, unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. I don't fuck, I, sorry. I don't yeah. mess with them anymore. So. Yeah, because that was fucked up. Because when Jimmy talked about it, he did a slight critique on yep. it. And then they started Damn. smearing him. They started smearing him as, oh no, what Ryan Grimm said, Jimmy Dore did a video and Jimmy Dore basically is not keeping the full clip. But I'm like, motherfuckers, Jimmy Dore gave you 50 fucking dollars of super chats. Just yep. pay seven fucking dollars to the Jimmy Dore show website and you can pull the fucking video. You want to yeah, do my Yeah, I was just going to say, oh, go ahead, John. And like Mastermind Hour said, Gavin said, if you don't like, it was Gavin, not Zach, sorry. He said, if you don't like, unsubscribe, like he, he said, oh no, he told, he said, oh, Jimmy, that's why nobody don't fuck with you no more. You, you pissed this person off. You pissed that person off. Like he went off, off that video. So is that video so bad? He just, it, it got, I, don't, I think you could tell the like the dislike at that time, but, um, people were putting it in the comments, like you're wrong, you're wrong. And they disabled it. They got rid of the comments. Yeah. They got rid of the video. video. Yeah. Not, not well, I'm just, I'm just going to say, you know, if you have a show that is, all about criticizing podcasters and that's pretty much all you talk about but you can't take that same criticism that's hypocritical you can criticize other people but they can't criticize you it's, you it's, know? Like, it's like you said sabi there's this low-key racism with the with liberals basically i i don't know what you said about them because i don't remember you talking about the vanguard on your show for them to just go shit on you now maybe they maybe they 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 listen to your uh they listen to Colin uh, if y'all would have seen what was going on behind the scenes like I said DMs live forever <laughs> <laughs> even uh, when people even if people block you or unfollow you you can always pull your Twitter report and everything that was there since you started your Twitter account is still there and if you guys would have seen what was going on behind the scenes it would not be surprising to you so I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really, honestly, I don't really care. <laughs> I don't pay, I don't pay attention to Vanguard. I ignore those guys. I only found out about that because someone told me about it. But like, honestly, like, I don't, I don't care. I'm, I'm more focused on working with people that are trying to do something that's going to help people in the community. And, you know, if you're not, if you're not reaching out to me, this is another reason why I close my DMs. If you're not reaching out to me to ask me to help someone or how we can help people. If you're not coming to me about what's going on with a policing issue or something like that, you're not reaching out to me asking me, hey, can you help people? I ain't really paying attention. Uh, anyway, exactly. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just not. Like, I don't have time for that back and forth stuff. Like, I really don't have time for that. And I don't really think it's healthy, uh, to be honest with you, to be on Twitter all day. I don't think that's healthy for people. No, if if yeah. Zach has anything to say, so I'm popping out. Hey, yeah, we, we all go ahead, have, Zach. I just had one Zach. thing. Um, I, uh, it was interesting and a little infuriating when you were talking to Ryan. I wanted to ask um, because actually some of uh, your more activist-minded people are here. If you or they knew, if so, from what I understand, you in the Senate. Bernie has in the past couple weeks uh, put a hold on a bill and it's like a hold for a week. 
um, I don't know if that's correct. If it isn't, please correct me. Um, I was wondering if there were any tools like that that we could use in the house because um, when that is a bad sound. Sorry. Um, if we had those tools and we knew about them, when we have these, I say, you know, Royal We, you and RBN um, are really good and you get the interviews with the people like Ryan Grimm that will defend the establishment. And if there are those tools, we can say no in the House, you know, not just voting no, but like in the Senate, they can put a hold on the bill whenever they want or they can do this or this. I think that would be really cool to find out. So when we are having these conversations, um, we, we, it's not just a, well, you know, they did what they could. It's like, no, Bernie has and will in the future until he retires, put a hold for a week on a bill, you know, with his position. I was wondering if, um, anyone had anything to say. Yeah, that is a strategy that they could use as well in the house. Um, I don't think they're trying to do that strategy right now, though, uh, unfortunately. But um, we'll see what happens with this, uh, this resolution uh, bill. We'll see what happens if they end up voting on this. Uh, if they don't, if they don't bring it to the floor for a vote, it's going to be, again, another very telling moment. Um, but again, like I said, a lot of those politicians, they've been there for years. They know how the system works. They know exactly what they're doing. And I, I fail to believe that this many people are naive uh, at this point in time, especially for the senators uh, that have been there for decades. They know exactly how it works. Joe Manchin has perfected this very well, by the way. Joe Manchin knows exactly how this system works. He knows how he can use it to benefit him, like that climate change bill would not have passed without his support, but he wasn't going to support it unless there was something in it that was going to work towards his corporate interests. And that's how D.C. works. And the sooner people understand that, the sooner people will stop being disappointed by these progressives in Congress. And that's what made um, when when Ryan had said, well, Bernie's just one guy. I was just like, well, so, so was Joe Manchin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, you know, Bernie's just one guy, you know. OK, so is Joe Manchin. One knows how to one is willing to use their leverage and the other one is not you know so mm -hmm. um oh but re real quick uh case i want to address something that you said way back um when you was talking about perhaps uh with a new party we can put some guardrails on to make sure that it doesn't go off the rail or whatever the case is um you can't um what's that word you can't be responsible for what happens after we pass, you know, when that party goes on after we've passed from this, um, from, from this earth. I mean, eventually parties become corrupted because they're designed to become corrupted because their whole thing is self-preservation and to look out for self, for the party interest first before the public interest. So no matter what reforms that you might put on it, you know, eventually, and I'm talking about, it won't even be in our lifetime. It could be in our grandkids' lifetime. I mean, look what happened to the Republican Party. You know, they were the abolitionists. Look at them now, you know. Can, can I interject put, something? Yeah, go ahead. 
Um, you know, I wanted to point out something that uh, is a really valuable book. I mean, probably you've all heard of like Martin Gillens and Benjamin Page's book on, um, you know, the, the so-called Princeton study, uh, uh, Affluence and Influence. There's a forerunner to that book that is really valuable that makes a lot of similar points, but it goes into the dynamics of how the rich control politics. It's a book called uh, The Golden Rule by uh, Thomas Ferguson. Um, subtitle is um, The uh, Investment Theory of Party po uh, Competition. And the point he makes there is that uh, the reason why our politics are so badly messed up is, uh, you know, and, and it has been this way. You know, by the way, his book was even before Citizens United. I mean, he published this in 1992. Um, but the reason why uh, politics are so messed up is is the fact that both of the parties, and it doesn't even matter the precise integer number of parties that you had. If you, you could have 17 different parties and the same problem could still occur. Uh, the cost of entry into politics, especially on a national level, is so high, and it's gotten higher with every passing year. Uh, as a result, you need so much money to compete that any party that you vote for is going to be very beholden to the same set of interests, and there's not going to be that much daylight between them. So the, you know, the median voter position on an issue, like let's say labor, uh, vast majority of people in this country are pretty pro-labor nowadays, if you look at polling. They think that workers should have more rights on the job. They, most people would probably agree, for example, that people should be able to uh, check off a card and automatically by default uh, have a union without having to necessarily go through an election unless uh, the NLRB actually determines that there was something potentially suspicious about the card check, right? That's, you know, that was something that we had once upon a time called the Joy Silk Rule. Uh, they tried to pass something called card check as a statute in Congress, and it fails. Most people think we should have that, though, by default. The reason that we don't have that, though, is that the median position of voters, probably 80% of voters, think that that'd be fine, that'd be great, that sure, we should have it. But both parties are taking money from the same set of interests who, who don't want that, all right? So it doesn't really matter exactly the numerical number, the integer number of parties that you have, particularly on the national level, uh, because the cost, once again, of competing in politics is so high that you become, you by default become beholden to those interests. And if you want to talk about the squad, uh, okay, so they're not taking money from that same set of interests. Fair enough. But the problem, you know, and, and we've established, which is great, you know, we've established that, yes, you can compete with so-called small dollar donations. But the problem with that is, when your donations are scattered and shattered and fragmented across uh, a million different small dollar donors, you don't, you simply don't have the kind of concentrated power that you would have if you were taking a whole bunch of money from, let's say, one big union or, or a coalition of, you know, seven unions and two, uh, public advocacy groups, like, you know, maybe from the national, uh, uh, National Resources Defense Council and the United Electrical Workers and the Teamsters, you know. When your donations are small dollar donations, sure, you're not beholden to big business, but you're also not accountable to a single concentrated collective group that can dictate 
terms to you, right? So if you're AOC, well, you can't really expect that much from AOC simply because her support is scattered across massive numbers of donors. So she's not really, she doesn't really have to listen to any single one of them, right? That's that's the problem. And, and, and you know, you want to go talk about the Tea Party. I mean, the reason why the Tea Party was an effective insurrection politically is because they had one big sugar daddy, the Koch brothers. You know, the Koch brothers basically were able to dictate terms to the Tea Party. Tea Party can do whatever they want as long as they're doing things that are either indifferent or make the Koch brothers happy. The minute that they start doing anything that makes the Koch brothers unhappy, their fucking chain gets yanked. And they stop doing it instantly, okay? Well, we need something actually somewhat similar to that, except something for the people. So we have to have some kind of collective organization instead of people donating, you know, $10 to this politician and $5 to that one. I agree. I I agree. And that's why we have to go. I mean, I like the fact that you're talking about unions, but we have to go beyond unions. Well, absolutely. We have to start talking about worker ownership. Absolutely. And that's why that's why I said that to Ryan tonight, because unions should be the first step. It shouldn't be the final step. It shouldn't be the the end result. Like you should go a step beyond that because union leaders have been known to screw over union members. Well, there's no question about this. Well, that's that's absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, you know, the problem with the uh, the rail fiasco, one of the problems, which I think Ryan was was absolutely right about, is that ironically, Biden actually gave the national rail unions uh, the ability to to determine the majority of the members on this PEB. But he oh. left, and, and, and I really am astonished that he didn't elaborate more on this because he pointed out that those efforts, the, the national unions, other than the, the maintenance of the wave folks, you know, the Brotherhood of the Maintenance of the Wave, which has a progressive caucus now that is pretty powerful, the rest of those bastards picked a bunch of absolute shit arbitrators. Like the same standard issue arbitrators that have been on these things since, you know, the end end of time. They knew that they were going to get a shit result. He didn't even explain in the article that he wrote for The Intercept why they did that. But he pointed that out, that they that they picked absolute crap arbitrators. And it was a foregone conclusion that they were going to get a crap result. And they were counting on Biden. But, you know. Biden actually gave him a chance. Biden actually let them pick the arbitrators and they picked shit arbitrators. Why? Well, when I interviewed the railroad workers, they made it very clear that 55% of them voted against the contract. Oh, sure. They, they so voted the, against it. Right. But, so know. the union leaders went against what the members wanted. Well, but they did something even worse than that. They went against their membership even before the... <laughs> So they went against their union members by picking shit arbitrators for this PEB. That's the thing that's really baffling. And, and I honestly don't know why they did that. Um, and, I, and I'm baffled that Grimm didn't go into more detail how that happened or interrogate them about why that happened. But, you know, the folks from the, the Brotherhood of the Maintenance of the Way, uh, they actually are a decent – uh, I mean, I don't know if the National Union is yet, but they have an insurgency within that Brotherhood of the Maintenance of the Way, which is a pretty damned activist, you know, insurgency that's similar to TDU, uh, you know, Teamsters for Democratic Union. 
uh, it's pretty decent. And, and they are looking to probably take control of that union. Got, uh, um, yeah, I, that I, I do. To their will. I do have to, yeah, I have to get going, you guys. It is really late. I do okay. have to get up and sorry. pretty soon. It's okay, Roger. Um, but hold on to your thoughts. Uh, we can continue that um, on Thursday. So, Roger, I know you like to write things down. Uh, you can bring up that point uh, for Thursday's call in. Um, but I do I have to get to bed because I, I'm going to be on fault lines in the morning. Um, technically, it already is the morning. <laughs> but um, I just want to say thank you guys so much for tuning in. And, uh, yeah, this has been an interesting week for labor, that's for sure. Uh, what shows have you Make an interview available on Twitter. I'll be on uh, Sputnik tomorrow morning, sure. No, before that. Before what? Um, before Sputnik, were you on other shows? Because I said I heard that you were on other shows before that, so I was going to check them out. No, just just Sputnik. I'll be on there at 